episode 199 hey, on Chotskan. The 100s are going to be in our rear view mirror. Wow, imagine that. Do you remember the name Sal Marciano? No. Yeah. Sal Marciano was one of the original ESPN voices and faces. I think he did boxing okay. on ESPN. Well, Marciano, and I mean, how could he not? Sal Marciano. And I, I think he got fired from ESPN because he was joking around with somebody. <laughs> this is in the early days of ESPN. Much tougher to get fired back then. <laughs> Yeah, he was on <laughs> he was on some show and somebody said, what what are your aspirations professionally? And he was like to see Bristol, Connecticut in my rearview mirror. He said that and his bosses said, you know what? <laughs> done and done. <laughs> and that was the end. And that's why you don't know who Sal Marciano yeah. is. No idea. I hope I've got that right. Somebody's going to text me and or email. <laughs> you got the wrong guy. No, I think it's Sal Marciano. Anyway, anyway, episode 199. Yes. I've got I've got congratulations. Congratulations. I'm just going to start. I'm going to Go. not start by starting with congratulations. All right. Okay. I've got congratulations to Husky CFA who had in the pool Cam Smith, winner, Rory McElroy, second, Tommy Fleetwood, first page leaderboard, Woo. Jordan Spieth, first page leaderboard, and Xander Shoffley for a combined 74 under par. Not only did his five guys wow. make the cut, yeah. but they combined for 74 under par. Now, you ask how close these things are? Yeah. He won by one shot. The guy he finished better than, a guy named Cadillac. Okay. Oh, big, big fan. They of each had Cam Smith. They each had Rory McElroy. They each had Tommy Fleetwood. Unreal. They each had Jordan Smith and the uh, Jordan Speed. Speed. Yeah, yeah. And then the fifth guy, Husky CFA, had Xander, who finished 10 under. And Cadillac had Matthew Fitzpatrick, who finished nine under. Come on. That's the way the $500 wow. was uh, was handled. There you go. Great contest. I don't know if it's a great contest. I'm just saying it's, it's, it's crazy it's how close these yeah, things that's are. That's amazing. Thanks to Fireside Home Solutions. So that's my first congratulations. Yes. Second congratulations, and you probably have no idea what this means, to Cameron Smith's putting stroke. Okay. God, it's one of the most beautiful things <laughs> I've ever seen. Is this the first time better, you've congratulated a stroke? Oh, better than Jennifer Aniston. Better than Christy Brinkley <laughs> in her day. A, oh, yeah. Oh, anybody who knows golf and watches the British Open or watches this guy yeah. week to week, he's an Australian guy, won the British Open. He is the most beautiful putter you have ever seen. It is just, it's poetry. Huh, really? Oh, I had a dad come running over to me at the softball park today. He said, yes. Did you, did you watch the end of it? Did oh. you see the British show? It was crazy. <laughs> he, this guy, and, and the, the best thing about this guy's putting stroke is the more important the putt is, the bigger the stage, the more pressure and stress there is, yeah. the better the putting stroke Unreal. Ne absolutely impervious. <laughs> is that a word? Impervious to the pressure. Just makes everything he looks at. Unbelievable. So congratulations to his punishment. Congratulations, number three, before we start the tease. Yeah. The Issaquah 12U Softball All-Star. There you thing, go, Tim. kids. There it's you funny. go. You're like Joe freaking Namath. You put your one up. You said, we're going to win this thing. And, you, <laughs> and they didn't even, did they allow a run, one run in the whole state tournament? Yeah, one run in five games. And that, and that run came on a no-hitter. I don't even know how that happened, but... You I, told us that they're going to run the table. You told us 
Don't get in Issy's way. We're yeah. going to San Bernardino, California. Is it San Bernardino, California? San Bernardino. Bernardino, I think. Yeah, yes. Bernardino, whatever. For yes. the regionals. That's for the right, North. sir. And it's not the West regionals. It's the Northwest regionals. Big difference. Big difference, by the way. <laughs> I've, I've sadly studied this more than anything in my entire life the past more year. Than, more than Mitch Unfiltered? Oh, I mean, it's close. It's close. <laughs> so I, I'm actually not that surprised that they – I didn't know they would dominate state like they did. I think, yes. I, I thought they were good enough to win it. And I think they're good enough to win regionals as well. I think they're good enough. I'm not predicting it. Well, you don't know. You, you can't know about these. So you get a team from what? Oregon, yep. Idaho, yep. Washington. Yep. Uh, Montana. Montana. Is that Wyoming. I don't even know where Montana yeah. is. Wyoming and Alaska. Wyoming. Okay. One team goes? One team goes out of those six, yes. To the Little League Softball World Championship Piper? Yes. Is the catcher? Correct. Started every game. North Carolina. Where did we? Asheville, did you say? Asheville, uh, North Greenville. Carolina? I think it's Greenville. Greenville, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. my God. And when uh, are you out on Mitch Unfiltered? When, when are you going to the Northwest yes. Regional? <laughs> I oh, fly, shit. Well, she flies out Thursday with her team. Little League pays for the, the all the players and the coaches. Sure. So I have to be at the airport at 4.30 in the morning on Thursday. Good. Can't wait for that. You'll float to the airport. Yeah, yes. and then uh, and then my wife and I leave Friday morning, and we'll meet them down there. And then it, we have like eight nights scheduled in the hotel, so I don't know. So we know for sure. That Sunday, I'm out. Episode two. This is this coming Sunday. Yeah. The- episode 200. <laughs> I told you it'd be special. Think about how many people are going to be excited. You're going to miss episode 200 <laughs> unless we delay episode yeah, 200 to the of, following week. Best of. On 200? I don't know. But so, yeah. So oh, no. Their first game is July 23rd. Some people are like, yes! I know. See, I told people it'd be oh, special. And I've got a couple of them right here. Yeah, I know you do. <laughs> I know you do. I gave you I gave you a heads up. I sent you the emails before I uh, read them. Anyway, okay, so that's congratulations. Yes. Congratulations in order to the Seattle Mariners. 14 in a row. We'll get there. Yes. Congratulations to the long-suffering Mariners fans who have been having fun every day now for like three weeks. Amazing. They win every single yeah. game. That's all they do is win. Which brings us to Stump the Band to start episode oh, 199. Maybe I have a Mariners one for you. And I'm going to give you the easiest Stump the Band question you have ever been asked. See, you love setting me which up. Which is like going to lead to some fun aftermath of the Stump the Band. I'll get there. Mitch Unfiltered is available on all major podcast platforms. We really need to be rated, ladies and gentlemen, and reviewed on the Apple Podcast platform. Give us a five-star rating. It really helps with booking guests. Mitch Unfiltered patrons, $5 a month. Go to MitchUnfiltered.com. Become a patron. If you'd like to be a patron with access, but the five bucks a month is an issue for you, just write me at Mitch Unfiltered. Uh, Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com, and I will take care of you. I met a patron. We'll get to at some point. We will. I met a patron. You met a patron. He came to watch There's Piper. One... It was very nice. Oh, that... He came to watch yeah. Piper? He lives near the tournament where it was happening, and he came to watch Piper. How yeah. about when two or three show up in San Bernardino, California? <laughs> well, there's one who lives down there. He said, you guys got to make it here. Call, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to come watch. Maybe he lives there. Maybe he's, you can yeah, I shack up with a guy. I know. I probably could save a couple bucks on the hotel. This is killing me, this trip. Uh, All right. Stump the band. Yes. The 2022 Mariners have won now how many in a row? I think it's 14. 14 in record. a row. Yes. They are one. And, they're, and now the All-Star break is here. Yep. And there'll be no more 15th game until after the All-Star break. Yeah. Do you know, first of all, what is the all-time winning streak in Mariners team history? What number? 15. Okay. You got, see? You got the first. Hold on, hold on. 
There you go. Do you know when the 15-game win streak, what season, what Mariners team holds that record? And if you don't, I'm just going to tell you, think about it. Just <laughs> yeah. think about it. I mean, yes. I, I would go with 2001 since yes. it's the greatest yes. season in the history of Major League Baseball. Yes. Okay. Okay. So let me tell you about when they won 15 in a row in 2001. Okay. It started with the 45th game of the season, Hotshot. Okay. So from 45, game 45 to game 60, okay. they won. What was their record going into before they started the 15-game winning streak? I'm going to tell you. So the first 44 okay. games, they were just 32 and 12 <laughs> after 44 games. God. 15 games later, they were 47 and 12. Unreal. Okay. Yeah. During the 15-game hit uh, winning streak, you'll be happy to know Edgar hit 438 in those 15 games. Not too bad. Each hero in 15 games had 23 hits of his. Record 242 that season. Yeah. Brett Boone Boney. had six homers in the 15 games. Okay. And their loss to break the 15 game in game 16 was to the San Diego Padres. Wow. On June 9th, 2021, here at what was called Safeco Field. Probably now, not 2021, 2001. 2001. Yes. Sorry. I'm excited to share this news. So I'm excited. I got the years wrong. <laughs> June 9, 2001. Yes. I'm sure you'd like to know about that. Well, how, what happened that they didn't win their 16th in yeah. a row? How well, could they lose? Let me tell you what happened. I'm ready. Here, Safeco Field on a June 9th yeah. in front of, on June 9th, 45,322 people. <laughs> wow. 42-year-old Ricky Henderson had two hits and three RBIs. <laughs> now, Good for him. <laughs> what year did he come and play here? Was that 95 that he came and, and played here? Wait, what year did he come and play here? Yeah, I don't know. Remember, he came in the middle of the year one year. I think it was before that. Yeah, we yeah. We thought we had an old Ricky Anderson. He, <laughs> he was 42 <laughs> on that day on June 9th, and he had three RBIs. Um, what else did I want to tell you? Oh, the starting left fielder that day... I don't even know why I'm going through this because I just I find great entertainment value yeah. in what I'm about to tell you. And if nobody else finds it interesting, people will remember. But I'm sorry. They've had a million skip, left fielders. Skip so it's funny. They're, they're left. No, okay. this left fielder is a fabulous story. All right. Guy named Al Martin. Do you remember Al Martin played left field? Yes, I remember. What do you remember about Al Martin? Something to do with USC. Yes. Thank you very much. Yes. Um, during that 2001 season, I'm going to read you the article. I, I actually copied and pasted the article. <laughs> Seattle Mariners left fielder, this is from 2001. Seattle Mariners left fielder Al Martin apparently never played football at Southern California in the 1980s, as he has claimed for years. Yeah. Coaches and players at South, Southern California and at Martin's High School in West Covina, California, said they have no knowledge of Martin ever attending or playing at the university. Marce Martin also is not in any of the USC team Gosh. pictures. Southern California has no record that Martin even ever enrolled in the school. <laughs> Why? Why? Southern California no. has no record that he ever received $1 in scholarship money or ever played in a game. Quote, Martin was asked after a recent Mariners loss... <laughs> I'm not saying anything, end quote. I don't know nothing about that crap, 
What? The Mariner's Information Guide says that Martin attended the University of Southern California on a football scholarship and played two seasons at strong safety for the Trojans. The story of Martin attending USC on a football scholarship has been in baseball media guides for three different major league teams, (laughs) the Pirates, the Padres, and the Mariners. The story has also appeared in several newspaper articles over the years. The information of those accounts was provided by, of course, Martin himself. Yeah. Mariner spokesman Tim Heavily says that the erroneous information would be removed from the guide's next edition. The issue came up when Martin told the Seattle Times this spring that crashing into teammate Carlos Guillen during a Mariners game reminded him of a 1986 football game (laughs) between Southern California and Michigan. Quote, for some reason, probably because I was young and dumb, Martin said, I decided I could make a head-on stop of Michigan running back Leroy Horde, Martin told the Times in May. I hit him, or rather, he hit me. You remember those big tree trunk legs Horde had? That's what hit me. Here's the problem. Southern California didn't play Michigan in 1986, (laughs) and the teams did not meet in the decade until the 1989 Rose Bowl. By the way, I I don't know that Leroy Horde was in college in 86. I think he was already, wasn't he on Cleveland? I don't know. I don't know. I have so many questions. That is, that is I just, this is, this piece, <laughs> remember just recently we had all the uh, high school athletes pretending that they were something, or the, the whole controversy yeah. with USC, yeah, all yeah. these kids and people, right, get, right. all the wealthy kids, oh, they row. Yeah. He was a man before <laughs> his time. He never went to USC. <clears throat> he never played on the football team. He never went to school there. He's quoting He's quoting hits that he had with right. Leroy Horde. They never played Michigan. I mean, the, this story is fabulous. <laughs> to, but to what end? Like, what? what's in it for him? Why? To, to make people think he's tough? I don't what? Know. Maybe he thinks he played. Maybe he's one of these, what do they call it? Um, it's sort of like when OJ just keeps telling himself he didn't do it. I don't know about OJ. I would go, no, I wouldn't go there with Well, maybe I'd go there with OJ. I, maybe he thinks he didn't do he's it. He's just living in a... Yeah. In a false world. Like, like in his mind, yeah. he hit Leroy Horde in 1986. <laughs> it's a dream. He's even talking about his tree trunk legs. <laughs> I, I have to look now. There's uh, no, I, I think Leroy Horde was already with the Cleveland Browns in 1986. Oh, he he should have picked somebody else. Oh, God. Well, he should have at least started with a game that was actually played. <laughs> yeah. That's like the beginning of everyone having the internet. I mean, people had it before 2001, I know, but... That's when, like, like our, our kids will never know what it was like to just to be able to make shit up that can't be checked back in the day. God. You used to be able to go through life doing that, but nope. So I say to, to producer Steve, if he's listening to this as he's getting this episode 199 ready to be dropped on Apple and all the, the different podcast apps, yeah. I say to producer Steve, I've got a hundred I got a hundred bucks cash. <laughs> you get Al Martin on this podcast. <laughs> Extra $100. Uh, but he won't talk about it, right? I mean, yeah, that's the only thing I would talk about. That doesn't mean he will. Oh, no, he would. No, he and wouldn't then, talk And then there'd it. be no reason to talk to him. And Leroy, right. by the way, Leroy Hart drafted in 1990. I thought he was on the, was on those good Browns so, teams. So Al Martin at least got that right. Yeah, that's and he went to Michigan. Thing. He got that right, too. And he has tree trunk legs. <laughs> that right. I just love that. <laughs> that's amazing. All right, uh, some emails real quickly at Mitch at MitchUnfiltered.com. Yes. Oh, boy. Uh, Mitch, shame on you. How could you let that ass wipe treat his young son like that? Pretty close to child abuse, wouldn't you say? I'm not going to quit your show because 
I could tell that you regretted the lack of action that you took. I sure hope that boy has an okay upbringing with that bully as a father, Shane in Portland. Shane is disappointed that I didn't act upon what I saw a couple Saturdays ago. I mean, you sort of thought you would get some of these, right? I mean, you you can't win. You can't win. Well, here's the next one. Mitch, don't sweat your taco time decision with the other family. It wasn't super hot outside. The kid wasn't enough in harm's way for you to involve yourself in that family's business. Hmm. At least that's the way I see it. Keep up the good work. Go Issaquah softball. There you go. Benny in Bend, Oregon. Okay. So he says, stay out of it. Yeah. I had a couple of couples over uh, a couple you of did? nights ago. Yeah. You had yeah, company? I, I had company. Holy crap. I had company. And I asked the guys and the gals and whatever, and it was kind of split. One of the guys said, yeah, I would have probably done something. Yeah. And the other guy said, nah, stay out of it. It's <laughs> not your business. <laughs> it's right stay down the middle. It. it is. Dear Mitch, the Steve Phillips segment on 198 was a home run. See what I did there? You guys have always had amazing rapport, yeah, but good. I hate to say that his assessment that the Mariners wouldn't do nine years, $180 million for Julio in the offseason is either wrong or very alarming, and turning down a deal like that would be consistent with the way this organization has done business for the last 30 years. Steven M's fan in Peoria, Arizona. I, I will just – I don't want to go too de- – did you hear this, Steve yeah. Phillips? Okay, so I brought up my nine-year, $180 million deal, yeah. and he said the Mariners probably wouldn't do that because it would mean it would be paying him $40 million a year for the last three years. Right. The, well, I, I reached out to to Steve because I don't think his math was right, and yeah. I, was, I was catching him off guard. It would actually be four years. Nine years would be the last five years of his club control and four years of his free agency. So the 120 would be $30 million a year, Okay, at which time... Steve texted back saying, I totally blew it. Sorry, I was thinking three years. It would be four years, and it would be appropriate, and the Mariners would not balk and probably would have to give him even more than that. So, okay. Steve he's off walking the hook. He, Well, I don't know if he's <laughs> off the Good. We signed him. Yes. Hey, Mitch, my friends and I love the podcast, and I'm a very happy patron. My friends and I love the podcast, and I'm a very happy patron. What about the friends? Right. Uh, we all believe that the unfiltered podcast is much better than your radio show. Hot shot notwithstanding. Ring the bell. Oh, God. For several reasons. Uh, number one, the non-sports content is fantastic. That professor from Vanderbilt on Monday's show is a perfect example. It was kind of sports. It was Brittany Griner. Yeah. But, but it was more non-sports. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's like diplomacy and foreign relations yes. and whatever. Uh, number two, far fewer commercials and only sponsors that you truly care about. That's a good point. Yeah. Number three, no calls from listeners. We are morons. Every one of us. Please keep us <laughs> muted because no one gives a shit. <laughs> Thanks, you, Josh and Redmond, Washington. Did you take calls on the morning show very often? Not often, okay. but every once in a blue. You would, okay. Yeah. I mean, it was like a call-in radio show, talk show, right? I mean, you, No, it was, ours was not a call-in radio It show. wasn't, okay. I never classified our show as a call-in. We would only take them when it was like we wanted to hear what somebody had, like, like a lightning pole, like let's take 10 or 15 real quick okay. on a subject, on a topic, on a controversy. We tried to humor ourselves with, we didn't want to hear other people talk. We want to hear our own <laughs> That's really what it is. Fine. Uh, hey, Mitch, love your podcast and the variety of guests. I even enjoy the praying coach, considering what some coaches get in trouble for doing. I don't see the big deal with a coach that wants to pray. Now for the real reason oh, God. for this email. I didn't appreciate Hotshot calling everyone assholes 
because we disagree on the Griner issue. He is showing his true liberal side. She broke the law in a different country and now has to face their system. Is she a hardened criminal? No. We have to start letting people that break the law face consequences and quit catering to them just because they think that they are above the law, which is what most athletes and stars believe. If Hotshot thinks otherwise, that's just fine. I don't think he's an asshole for thinking that way. But obviously, in his mind, we have to agree with him or we are assholes. I would email him directly, but I don't know his email. I don't hide behind email or social media. If he wants to meet me in person, I will say this to his face. If it wasn't for you and how enjoyable you make the podcast, I would stop listening because of him. On a better note, I wish your podcast were longer. I guess he wants more of you. I have all episodes listened to by noon of the day you release them. Thanks, Keith. Is this the last one that shits on me of the day, or is there a whole list of these to go? No, that's it. Oh, that's it. Last oh. one. That's the only one. Did anybody else shit on you? Well, Hotshot notwithstanding. That was a joke. Okay, that all right. All right. Do well, you want to respond to this guy, or do you want me to go to the next email? I want to make sure that I, I was clear on, on what I was saying by assholes, and I, I stand by what I said. Remind was, me what you said last I, anyone week. Anyone who thinks that a fellow American deserves to rot in a Russian prison, prison for medical hash oil is an asshole to me. If anyone thinks that she should continue to rot in that prison for what she's being accused of, I right. think is an a-hole. I stand by that. I mean, who who wants our fellow American in Russia sitting there in that stupid prison for how long now? Months and months and months? So do you say he... For he, hash so oil? He, he took Come you on. out of context? I'm, I'm just standing by what I said. I don't care how he takes it. I don't. I don't okay. care. You, now, would you meet him in person and tell this to his face? Yes, I would be very scared of Keith. <laughs> well, here's something. I'd be shaking in my boots. Here's something that you may not agree with again. Mitch, I'm so fed up with hearing about this woman, Brittany Griner, who went to Russia oh, on God. her own, broke their laws, and now expects the U.S. to get her out. It is such an overbaked story. The U.S. didn't help her get there, put her there, and didn't set her up to break the laws. She did it to herself. Anybody else you or I included, would sit there until the term was finished and we paid our debt to society. She broke their law. Broke the she law. should sit there yeah. where she is until she's fulfilled her obligation to Russian law. It's not as if she's a U.S. ambassador who has wrongly been arrested or taken hostage. She put herself there, leave her there, and let this go away. Russ. Yeah, I hope Russ never goes one mile over the speed limit because he's <laughs> breaking the law. You know, we got to, it's a law. You can't go over the speed limit. It's a law. People love hiding. Uh, you, know, you were talking to the, the professor and, yes. and you said if this was LeBron James, would it be different? Would we be? And what did he say? He said no, right? He, he, he him hawed a little bit, yeah. he said, but they might want to make a, an example out of LeBron right. James too. bigger old. name. Yeah, and they would probably ask for a lot more than one terrorist to be released <laughs> from the United States. They would want a lot more for <sighs> LeBron James than they want for Brittany Griner's release. People don't want to hear this because I'm going to go there. Go there. Just go there. It's 199 swear, and you're out on 200 anyway for the, she's for the ratification. Got, she's got a, yeah, that's true. I can take a week off to let it simmer, but <laughs> she's got a lot going against her as far as some people are concerned. She's female. Uh, yeah. She's African-American. Yes. She's gay. Yes. She's covered in tattoos. She's yes. had domestic violence stuff in her past. Does she? I don't know with that her, With part. her partner, yeah. there's been some issues with that. And I'm, I hate to say it, but if, if this was a straight white male, would it be the same? I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it would be. You think be. Russ would uh, want him out? What if Russell Wilson? I mean, he's not white, but what, you know, what if... What if Tom Brady was over there? Would people be clamoring to get him out? Would they well, say, eh, Tom Brady broke the law, let him out. How rock. would Russell, if he was over there, get the love letters 
Yeah. To Sierra. <laughs> but Russell's not a good example. Tom Brady. Actually, he wouldn't want to get the love letters to Sierra. He just wants to get the love letters that we see. We, he wants us to see the love letters, not Sierra. Right. So much. It, yeah, <laughs> no direct communication. Just make sure we all see it. But I, I can't help but think that, that some people look at it that way, and it's it's really annoying me. So I guess we're going to have to agree to disagree. We'll like agree to, to disagree. And by uh, the way, yes. I, I think that Keith guy yes. tweeted at me and wanted some scores on my daughter's game. Well... I, to which I didn't respond. He's got to you know shit it's just, There may be more than one Keith, number one. With that last name? Oh, it's the same last name? Yeah. I don't know. Now we're buddies? Well, Come on, man. Well, maybe. Maybe. Maybe he's like you. He's saying, we agree to disagree on this, but I'm still rooting for your daughter to win the... Maybe. Maybe. Certain ways to speak to people yeah. in life. You're going to come at me like... And by the way, did he want to meet me? Like, I, I couldn't understand. No, her. no. He's just saying... He's just saying he's not one of those people he's saying who that, talk uh, crap online. Right, right. Okay, all right. He, that the only reason he's writing the email to me is because he doesn't have your email address. That's all. Gotcha. Okay. I think I once offered you a, uh, a Scott at MitchUnfiltered.com and you didn't want that, right? Or did, or I, I have enough to keep track of. Yeah, I think I, that's what you said. I have enough emails. You said three years ago. You know, but I, I would put my email on the website or something. Or, or you can just forward anything to me. I don't care. I did forward it to yeah, you. No, that's what I'm saying. Just yeah. No, just, what, I'm, what I'm saying is, would you like these people to have access to you directly without having to go through me? No. Okay. <laughs> uh, if I were single, maybe. Episode 199, <laughs> Guests. Christian Capels, the Athletics, Washington Huskies insider. We got to find out what's going to happen to the Washington Huskies football, basketball, athletic program now that yeah. the Pac-12 has become the Pac-10. He's going to tell us what he thinks is going to happen, and we got to find out who's going to be the starting quarterback yeah. this year. There's three, like, three terrific options or yeah. three options. And nobody really seems to know who's going to be the quarterback. I'm just excited for all those people that hung on to their Pac-10 gear. That's who I'm excited for. <laughs> Is it faded? <laughs> <laughs> they get to rock it once again. No, it's going to be Pac-12 soon. All right. Chris and Eric Ewers are Hollywood film producers. They're brothers. Mm. And they co-directed a Ken Burns. You know Ken Burns? Yeah, the baseball guy. Yeah. Ken Burns critically acclaimed two-part PBS documentary called Hiding in Plain Sight, The Mental Health Crisis Amongst Youths in America. Oh, they interviewed wow. 23 different kids mm -hmm. from all different walks who have all struggled from time to time with mental health. And this is a this is a, a program, a documentary for all of us to see. Should be in schools. It's presented by Ken Burns, but Great. these brothers are the directors, and they both join us here on episode 199. Very good interview. Awesome. Very good interview. And then there's Michael Wargian. He's a long-distance runner, former lacrosse player in college. He lives in... Arlington, Virginia, or the D.C. area. Okay. He was inspired for, by Forrest Gump, the movie. Sure. And so what he did was he recently became one of 400 people ever to run from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic. He did it in 62 days, and he's got fabulous stories of things wow. that happened to him along the way. You wouldn't believe, and I don't want to give it away, you won't believe how many people were just assholes to him. Yeah. As he was running across the country, <laughs> throwing hamburgers at him. Really? Yes. Half-eaten hamburgers <laughs> at him. People just did not, a lot of people just did not like this dude. And then there's the other guys, like in Forrest Gump, that knew he was coming and were tracking him and then were running with him. He had 30 or 40. Oh, that's like so Rocky cool. Like Rocky Balboa. Yeah, down yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And our producer, Steve Dion, just did that during the tease, coast to coast, right? I mean, that guy. <laughs> same, same. Why doesn't he do this? I mean, he could probably do it, right? He loves running. Yeah. Loves it. Yeah. Lo imagine loving running. Imagine, I can't even like relate to this guy. Imagine deciding 
to run from the Pacific Ocean to the Atlantic Ocean, <laughs> mapping this out over like eight months and yeah. strate strategizing which way you're going to go. Are you going to go through Colorado, through the snow, whatever? Gosh. And you go through this whole process and then you decide you're going to leave from City Hall in San Francisco yeah. and you get to the starting point and you realize, shit, we're six miles east of the Pacific Ocean. I got to run six miles west first. And that, that's what this guy did. <laughs> he made a mistake. Oh, he did? <laughs> Instead of starting at the Pacific Ocean, yeah, yeah. he started in San Francisco at, at uh, City Hall, so he had to run six miles oh, west. God. It's not enough that he had 4,000 miles still to go. <laughs> he started out backtracking. There's some good stories. Anyway. Not good. Yeah. So there you go, episode 199. But it doesn't begin, Hotshot Scott, without a few words about our amazing partners and sponsors, without which none of this is possible, like Daniel's Broiler. Just redid their patio at the South Lake Union location. An awesome setting for a summer special occasion. Overlooking the world in Bellevue on their patio, Lake Washington at Leshy. It's not just the steaks that makes Daniels a world-class steakhouse. Congrats again to Husky CFO for winning the Open Championship Pool presented by Fireside Home Solutions. John Waterstrat and Fireside, amazing. Whatever you need, Mitch, he says. We are there for you. Begin your search for a new fireplace at firesidehomesolutions.com. The Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage. I swear Jordan Flowers and Sidney Rice, they were much better in the second round of the member member. Much better. And Jordan, he's got lots of upside in his golf game. So please ignore what I said the last few weeks. Whether it's rental properties, purchases, second homes, and more, seven minutes is all you need with the lead man of the Kirkland Office of Cross Country Mortgage, Jordan Flowers. 425-890-2957. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning taxes and investments under one roof, evergreengk.com. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen is everything wealth. And Zeke's Pizza, fired up about the new huge location at Terrace Station, Mount Lake Terrace, already in Mill Creek and already at White Center on 16th Avenue Southwest. Northwest style pizza, the best craft beer selection anywhere and to your door in no time, if you please, with the Zeke's Pizza app, homegrown in the Northwest. A pretty good one. Episode 199. I think you'll like it. It begins right now unfiltered it drives me batty that we're paying guys 25 26 million dollars and asking them to go give us six innings <laughs> i can't get i can't get my arms around that being a the alta cocker that i am unfiltered i'm really happy to see him smile and show that youthful exuberance to the nation i'm glad he's yes. gonna be on national tv so that everybody around the baseball world can see what we've been seeing since he he came up mitch is unfiltered Episode 199 is now officially underway. Hot shots. I had a trivia question for you that I yes, wanted to yes, mar yes. mariner. Yeah, is it an Al Martin? It's not an Al Martin <laughs> trivia. Ty France, all-star? He is. Yes. As of the Sunday that we're recording this. That's right. And I'm really happy for him. Yeah, I know. That was a pretty cool video that went out that showed. I've not seen it because I've been at baseball all day. But right, right. I heard that he was he was named to the all-star team. Yeah. And my immediate reaction was good for him because like a month ago or three weeks ago, Julio was thought to be having a great rookie year, but probably would fall short. And 
France was like going to be the Mariner representative. Yeah. Then he got hurt, missed two weeks or two and a half, about two weeks of the season. Yeah. Julio got hot. And then when France came back, Julio got in and France didn't. And I just feel like as much as I love Julio, yeah, yeah, I feel, feel like right. France deserves to be in the all. I'm yeah. really happy about that. What's your trivia question? Who was the last Mariner first baseman to oh, be an all-star? Get out of here. The last Mariner first God. baseman to be an all-star. Well, I remember, well, one I definitely know. Okay. I don't know if he's the last first baseman because that whole 2001 team was in the all-star game yeah. in Seattle. And Johnny O, John Olerud, was... Bell. Hit the bell. You got it on your first guess. John Olerud. Is he the last one? Last first baseman, well, yeah, 2001. I could have gone with Alvin Davis, but I decided to go with John Olerud. I also read that this is the longest win streak by any team leading up to the All-Star break. And yes, they, it is. Yeah, 10 was... Yeah, they had In the that. history of baseball, though. Anytime anything's in the history of baseball, it blows it's me away because the game has been going on so it's long. It's freaking nuts. It's insane, yeah. Somebody tweeted it both. I don't know if you saw it. They said, are they just messing with us now? Like, this they're just is, messing with us. I, I, I've, I keep sending out my No Nay Never video yeah. on Twitter, and I... <laughs> And people are tired of seeing it. I've seen it before. I don't know what to say. I, I, I Is say, it the same yeah. one? Do you just send the same one? Oh, same one every time. There you go. I like yeah. it. <laughs> what about you? think I'm going to cut a new one every day? Today this team wins? Got things to do. I don't know. I, and and when, I was at my, when I was at my kids' baseball game on this Sunday as they were going for 14 in a row, yeah. I had decided that they were going to lose. To The streak would end. They'd go to the All-Star break. And I would come on this episode 199 and immediately say, you got to fight. They're overrated. <laughs> right. Fire service. Dimpote. How can they lose a game like right, this? Right, right, right. See, this This is the real man. I had oh, the whole thing ready. Screwing up your and show. I screwed the show up. Anyway, so you know that if the season ended today, which it doesn't, and it's stupid to even talk about Mr. Playoffs, you know that the Mariners would be a wild card in the American League. Okay? Last I checked, they were the second wild card. Second wild card now of the, of the three yeah. in the American League. Well, I realized when I was recording a patron show for $5 a month with either Danny O'Neill or Slick Hawk or both, okay. I realized that how could I be Mr. Playoffs without really knowing how the playoffs work? I realized that because they've just shifted and added a new team, I realized they've got a new format. I'm woefully unprepared as Mr. Oh. Playoffs. I don't even know how the Major League Baseball playoffs work. That was last week for the patron shows. Understandably, you haven't really had to look at it too closely. The no, past but I should years. know these things. Right, I am right. doing a Fakakta podcast. <laughs> you are, yes. You like Fakakta. I love it. So here's how it works. And I was actually a bit dismayed with one part of the change. Okay. So they added a third wild card team to each league. Right. Which means they have got six and six. They've got 12 teams. Three divisional winners, three wild cards each league. Yep. Okay, we have six teams. So as you would imagine, the best divisional winner is the one seed. The second best divisional winner is the two seed. Mm -hmm. Those two seeds get buys in the first round. They're Understandable, yep. Okay, that's like football. I mean, we've yeah, never had season. buys in baseball. We've never had buys in baseball. Yeah. So now we're going to have in 2022 buys for the first time. I think for the first time. Anyway. The third, the weakest of the division winners is the three seed. No matter, you know, the wild card could actually have a better record than the third or the second. Yeah. doesn't matter. You win your division. No you matter what you're at, you're, you're the third seed. Yeah. The fourth seed is the number one wild card. The fifth seed is the number two wild card. The sixth seed is the number three Pretty wild card. Pretty easy. Makes sense. Right. Yeah. So six, in the first round, six plays three, mm -hmm. four plays five. 
Okay? Yep. It's predetermined. It's not reseeded like football. One is going to play the winner of 4-5. Okay. And two is going to play the winner of 6-3, no matter who wins those particular series. Okay. The first series, what they call wild card round, even though there is a division winner in there, they're best of three series. They're no longer one game playoffs. Wow. Best of three. The second round in each league is best of five. And then the championship series and world series are best of seven. Okay. Here's what I, and I, I was going to say, here's what I didn't know. Well, I didn't know any of this, but <laughs> here's what I, I was a little taken aback by. So you're saying the Mariners are the two seat, the, 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 the second, second wild, wild card. Last card. I checked. Okay. Yeah. Last year. So they're, they're the number five and they play the number four. Yep. Right. Mm -hmm. A best of three series where number four would have the home field advantage. What constitutes home field advantage? What do you think constitutes? Before I tell you, what do you mean? What, what constitutes? Well, if if they're the five and they're playing the four in a best of three series, yeah. what do you think the venue? How do you think it works in terms oh, as of where opposed they play? to two and one or one one one? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. What do you think? Probably one one one. One one one. You think it starts at the four seed? Yep. Now game two would be at the five, five seed, yep. and if there is a game three that's necessary, one. Yeah. Okay. You're incorrect. Try wow. again. Try again. Well, then what's left? Two and one? <laughs> yeah, that's that's a possibility. Yeah. Two gate. The first two games at the... You're saying the first two games... Oh, I see. Yeah, the order of it. Yeah. The answer is it's 3-0. Really? No home games for the lower seed in the first round of the playoffs. That's what I didn't know and was dismayed to find. Wow. So the Mariners in this scenario, if they truly are five, yeah. they would have to play a three-game series at the four seed, no games here in Seattle, all three on the road, best two out of three. Imagine the Mariners make the playoffs for the first time. And they don't get one home in game. In 20 years, and you can't, go can't one watch game. them. Imagine. Come on, they got to get their act together here. Let's go. Let's catch Houston. Let's get something at home here. Catch Houston. Hey, it's only nine now. Uh, as we nine? record, it's oh, nine. That's okay. gettable. Anyway, I wanted to let you know that. That's incredible. Three nothing? It's, it's right. fair. So, you might ask, Mitch, what should they do now that we know we can't go to a home playoff game in the first round if they're a five or six seed in the wild card? Yeah. Second or third wild card. What should we do? Well, go out and get Juan Soto. Yeah. Do you know who Juan Soto is? I sort of do. Tell me. Juan Soto is the now, I want to say, 23-year-old, 22, 23-year-old okay. outfielder, right fielder for the Washington Nationals. Yeah. Who uh, finished second in the MVP balloting, I think, to last year. Okay. At 22. Yeah. And he has turned down a $440 million contract, thanks to Scott Boris. Oh, Scott Boris, yeah. And the Nationals may be left with no other option than to look to trade him. How would how would Juan Soto and Wright and Julio Rodriguez in center look for you? Do we have to pay that money then at some point? <laughs> Somebody I mean, does. Somebody's got to pay that. And write that not check. only do you have to write that check, yeah. you got to give them every every minor league prospect that you've got <laughs> That's right. to be able to get him here. Your son, Brett. We'll be going he's, as well yeah, as part of the trade. I, I don't know that he's much of a prospect, but... but uh, wow. Yeah. I, I, somebody sent me an article about Otani. Yeah, he's going to... Yeah, he might be... He Come wants five. He wants $500 million. Yeah. Oh. He's going to want $500 million. Anyway, Shohei Otani and Soto could both be available at this deadline. And... Uh, so they'll have to spend a just, billion just dollars. You, just to give you a sense of what we're talking about with Soto, last year he had two at, at age... Uh, hold on. 
So this year, he's, he's got 19 home runs and 42 RBIs okay. before the All-Star break. I think he's 23, 22. Uh, last year, 313, 29, and 95. And a bad. 465 on, ba- on base percentage Jeez. to lead all of baseball. And the year before that, as a 20-year-old, 282, 34, and 110. That's what we're talking about. Wow. How's his glove? I'm guessing Screw fine. his glove. <laughs> Stick it up his ass. He can catch a fly ball, I'm guessing. <laughs> I yeah. don't let them all drop for all I care. Oh, my gosh. That would be amazing. Well, I mean, is there any smoke with this? Are you no, si- there's I'm just saying... But- the, the only thing that's got Mariners... Well, look, this is ridiculous that we're even bringing it up that anybody on sports radio is talking about this because of some obvious reasons, which is you'd have to give him every great prospect that you have, and then you'd have to give him right. 500, 600 million, and you have to give Julio 200 million now and probably another 300 million, whatever it is, 400 million. Right. And we're talking about the Mariners here, right. whose, a, a whose biggest dollars. offseason acquisition was the brewery. Right across the street. <laughs> right. Okay. <laughs> they got that. So, <laughs> so this is preposterous on a lot of levels. The reason that people are talking, having fun talking about it in Seattle, twofold. No, number one, they're winning. Yeah. So they're like, oh, let's go shopping. We're good. Let's go shopping. Yeah. And then the other thing is, apparently, and I think we've talked about this before, the one, the one, well, not the one good thing, but the best thing that Jerry's done since he's gotten here, they've got the number one farm system. On a lot of accounts, a lot of lists. So if there's a team that's got the prospects, yeah. the package of prospects to give to Washington for this guy. It's the Mariners. It's the Mariners. So because of those two things, it's fun to talk about. Um, by the way, you, you know, uh, you'd only have him for two guaranteed years. He's got two more years before he gets to the to the part where you don't have club control anymore. Yeah. And if you think that Scott Boros is going to go ahead and do a deal. No. With two years left just to help you facilitate the trade? <laughs> the answer is he probably will for $800 million. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> and in the meantime, so people are asking, in the meantime, what should the Mariners do at the deadline? Yeah. And I and I think that they'll be active at the deadline, which is coming. What's some realistic stuff they should do? Well, I, I, well, I, I think, first of all, you know, everybody is saying that they've got to be active. They've got to go get another hitter. They've got to go get another starting pitcher. They've got to go get bullpen guys. And yeah. maybe all that's true. But I would just take a step back. And I'm this might be unpopular. But I would say, let's take a step back and remember a couple things. At least what we hope. Two guys are coming that are kind of like trade acquisitions. Yeah. That you haven't had. Mitch Hanniger. Right. And Kyle Lewis. Yeah. Kyle Lewis has five home runs in his last seven minor league games. He's coming. He's yeah. he's on his way. Hanniger's behind him, but he's going to come eventually. So if you if you just stop and consider this, and I know I, this sounds crazy as a Mariners fan because they they can't score runs ever, but if you stop and you think about their team and their lineup offensively, mm-hmm. if Hanniger comes back and he's Hanniger, which is like two seventy and kind of a thirty five home yeah. run over one hundred sixty two games, you know, if he's if he's Hanniger sure. and Lewis is Lewis, which is Low average, strike out a lot, 240, 250, but hits the ball out of the ballpark a lot. Really, there's not a lot of holes where you would say, we got to go get a guy right. offensively. No glaring. Second base, Adam Frazier hasn't been good. Yeah. But you'd have outfielders like Lewis and Hanniger and Julio and now Winker's hitting. Yeah. You're not going to do anything at third base Suarez with Suarez. He's been fine, yep. even better than fine. You're not going to do anything with J.P. Crawford at shortstop. You're not going to do anything with France at first base. Right. Cal Raleigh has been okay. Go you're see not, Cal. And you don't, 
What? Go see Cal. And you don't and you don't really get catchers that hit, really. Yeah. So DH, the guy, uh, the singer, Carlos Santana. <laughs> yeah, guitar player and singer, on, yes. There's not really a second base. I mean, there's really not a lot of, oh, we gotta go add a outfielder or a first baseman or because they're pretty if Hanniger and Lewis come back and they're and healthy they are, and they and they, and they yeah. are Hanniger and Lewis. They hit their baseball card. So what I say is let's go get pitching. For, and people mm. are going to say, well, hold on. They've been so good. The pitching has been so good. Let's get more. Right. Because pitching is available. Typically at deadlines, pitching, especially bullpen guys, huh. they're available. Okay. Starters, if they're on their on their way to free agency, could be available. If they've got like a year left and the team doesn't think we can sign them and we're bad, whatever. Yeah. Let's go get pitching. Um, Somebody's going to get hurt. Hmm. It's that's just the way it works. Yeah. Somebody in that rotation. They're already saying that George Kirby is at a he's he, he's so young. They're watching his innings this year. Yeah. Yeah. They're gonna need pitching. And then, of course, from a bullpen standpoint, much to my dismay, baseball has become, at least the Mariners have become, let's ask our starters to go six, and then let's pitch one pitcher in the seventh, a new pitcher in the eighth, and a new pitcher in the ninth. Yeah. That's the way they're that's the recipe. Right. Well, if you're pitching three different bullpen guys in the seventh, eighth, and ninth every night, yeah, right. You can't have enough of guys that are throwing 98, 99, 100 miles. Go get, go get a couple of fireballers to help out in the seventh, eighth, and ninth. Crazy to think that you just said the Mariners don't really have any holes in their lineup. No, no, I didn't. I didn't <laughs> any I, glaring hole. I mean, that's not what I was trying to say. I, I know, but that's how it's. I'm taking the, it sort of. I'd rather say they don't have any uh, except for second base. Yeah. If Hanniger and Lewis are th themselves, right. they don't have any obvious. Where would you go and get a bet? Where, where's the bat gonna? Are you really gonna get an upgrade to Suarez at third base? Maybe I see you what can. you're saying. Yeah, he's hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Yeah, he's only hitting about I don't know two thirty or two thirty five. I don't know what he's hitting, but yeah. I, I I see what you're saying. I just don't see I don't see where you're putting these guys. And if you do go get a big free agent, you got to pay. I mean. How much are you going to have to pay? Like well, a no. Soto guy, too. Well, you wouldn't be going to get a free agent. You'd be going to get a trade. Yeah. And then you'd have to give up one of those yeah. precious farm system commodities. So, anyway. Um, so, I don't know. What, do you think they're going to add pitching? Or do you think they're... I, I definitely think they're going to add pitching. If they do nothing, if they do nothing, does this fan base explode? Like, are they going to be no, outraged? It depends on what the Mariners are doing at the time of the deadline. If they're, okay. if they're fluttering... And starting to lose ground and maybe dropping out of the wild card race and Pete teams are catching them and all those teams are being active at the deadline yeah. and Jerry does nothing. I think people will be like, what the? Yeah. <laughs> if they are continuing to win like this, not like this, but you know, this continuing continue, to win, right? Yes. But, and they're strong and they're in position and, and they don't do anything. I still think Mariners fans will be upset that they didn't do anything, yeah. but they'll bite their lip. But here's the thing. Jerry is known as a as a wheeler dealer. He's going to do something. He is. Yeah. I mean, are He's they going to do something? Are they one or two pitchers away like how, how good are we talking if they if they go get some great bullpen help? Are they are they're not winning the world from, series? Away from what? Away from winning the world series, which is what everyone's goal is. Well, and I know it's early. I know you're, it's early. you're just asking me. I'm just a baseball fan. I'm not some sort of a uh, an expert, but the way I see baseball playoffs is pretty obvious. Okay. The the teams with dominant starters, like two or three, that can okay. go out in a seven-game series and pitch one guy in one, second guy in two, third guy in three, maybe bring the first guy back in game four. Mm. If not, you pick. So you look at the Mariners as of the moment, 
And what do you see? You see Robbie Ray now throwing the freaking hell yeah. out of the ball. You got an ace now. He's been great. Yeah. So he's your ace. Yep. Logan Gilbert has been really, really good. Is he a playoff caliber shutdown guy? We don't know. Okay. Is Flexen? <laughs> is Marco? Yeah. They're all, they they seem to me to have a good rotation for the regular season. Mm, interesting. Well, you can just keep going through that rotation. One through five. There's not, a lot of, you know, there's not a lot yeah. of weakness in there. Okay. Maybe they don't have a, a lot of aces, but they're just solid one through five as they keep going through the season. But when you get to the playoffs, you got to have those freaking studs. Yeah. The Clemenses, the Pedros, you know, you know the guys that come in and just the Braves in 1991. Smoltz, Glavin, and Maddox. Yeah, right. Right? Yep. They probably need another but but that guy's expense whoever that guy is yeah i don't even know that you can go get that guy mm. yeah i'm just i'm asking because That's expensive if you start giving up these prospects again to what end like what 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 are we hoping for are, are we are we one or two guys away from winning the world series and we just gave up the you know what i'm saying you got to kind of measure what we're going to give up for what the end product will most likely be if you're yeah. telling me we're a pitcher away from winning the World Series, then sure, give up a couple prospects. Here's the thing that I have a hard time digesting. That's always a possibility, which is the rent-a-player. The player that yeah. you're only going to have for the remainder of this season. That if you acquire, the way the rules work, if you acquire him before the July 31st deadline, mm -hmm. he can play for you in the postseason. If you acquire somebody after, I think it depends on how you acquire them, which waiver process, whatever. I'm not a big believer, especially where the Mariners are right now as an organization with so much good youth. Yeah. I don't know that I'm a believer that I want them to go get a guy that's going to just be here for a couple of months. Right. I'd like to get a guy that's got a year left or two years left, or you feel like you can, you can re-sign. Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't feel because like they're it, that player away from it. Because, yeah. you know, as great as the winning streak is, this is still a progression. And you're, you want to be good for many years to come. Right. You don't want to sell out for one year that might be – I, I don't know. I'm, just, I'm, I'm with you. I'm spouting off, and I don't even know what I'm saying. Two words. Yeah. Heathcliff Slocum. <laughs> How did that work it. out? Stop <laughs> You it. remember they, that routine? Yeah, well, they got a <laughs> – it wasn't just Heathcliff Slocum. They got Mike Timlin, and they got <laughs> Hulse Spoljarek. <laughs> oh, yeah, Spoljarek. They went out, and they – Got a whole bunch of guys and threw uh, a lot of shit at the wall and hoped that one would stick. Yeah, I don't think any did. Heathcliff was great because he would unbutton like the two buttons of his. <laughs> he'd have that chest hair oh, coming yeah. out, the chain, whatever. the chain, the whole thing. All right, other stuff after the three interviews. Let's do it. Okay, boy, it's been a tough few months for our four hundred one k plans, hasn't it? Here's Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. Katie, give us some good news, will you? There's not a lot of great news in the market to report, except if you're a buyer. It's a good time to be buying and to have cash. It's also a good time to go three for three. I feel it. This is going to be my day. What's the theme of your quiz today, Katie? It's a market update to see how much you're paying attention. I'm paying attention. So go ahead. Question number one. U.S. inflation in May reached the highest level in more than four decades. What was the inflation increase? Was it 
8.3% or 8.6%? 8.6% C, Katie. Oh, you are right. It was 8.6% up from 8.3% last month. So really driven by a lot of the supply chain issues, energy prices. That's why the market has been really volatile around these numbers. And Mitch Levy is one for one for the first time in his history. I'm ready for question number two. All right. Number two, in June of 2021, oil was $68 a barrel. What is the cost today? Is it $100 a barrel? 120 or 140 $120 a barrel. That's right. That is right. That's what's really causing this inflation spike is that the cost of energy has just gone up so much over the last year. And Mitch Levy has a chance to go three for three as he predicted. I'm ready for question number three. This one could be an easy one. It's a true or false question. True or false. Both stocks and bonds are down for 2022. Absolutely true, Katie. That is true. You went three for three. Yeah, so stocks are down 18% and bonds are down 11%. It's been a really ugly year where there's not a lot of places to hide. Essentially, the only area of the market that is up on the year is energy. That's why here at Evergreen, we think that active management makes a lot of sense. It used to be really easy to make money in the market for the last five or 10 years or so, where you just buy the index and it keeps going up. But now we think, you know, there's pockets of value. We think there's certain areas that make sense. So we think active management makes a lot of sense in this environment. And that's why it's a good time to check out everything that Evergreen is doing. Start with their website, evergreengk.com. We love Katie Versio, Director of Financial Planning at Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. Left. He'll throw across his body, complete to Jalen McMillan. Penix takes it, back, steps up, opening, rolls near side, goes to the corner, dies to the corner. He didn't get there. No, they say he did. They say he hit the pylon and Indiana wins. So it's been a few weeks since UCLA and USC surprised many of us by bolting the Pac-12 for the Big Ten, leaving the conference in a bit of disarray and lots of uncertainty. So what's next for the University of Washington? The Athletics Huskies insider Christian Capel is back with us on Mitch Unfilter with the full beard. People can't see that, but I'm telling you, he's got the Tacoma Rainiers hat on again, just like his last visit. How are the Capels? We're good. Dealing with a lot of things that a lot of people have been dealing with the last two and a half years, if, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, we're we're good. Daughter's going back to daycare on Monday. Hopefully, it's been a been some some fun time at home, juggling schedules and everything. But hey, that's a lot of people dealing with the same things, and you just you just kind of get through it. But the he- the headline is we're good. We're good, Mitch. That's good. Should I be asking about Curly Reed first, or should I wait on that? I don't want to bury the lead now, Christian. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny as much as we get obsessed with the realignment thing and rightfully so, because it's, uh, that's, you know, what's going to determine the future. And that's what everybody's talking about. They've just uh, kept recruiting and football kind of rolls along and geez, it's mid July fall camp starts in a, a couple weeks here. They had their big visit weekend at the end of June and now 12 guys who visited at some point that week have either committed during that week or since Curly reads the latest one, four star cornerback out of Louisiana 
you know, he's the the third guy in this class they've pulled from a state that they basically never recruited. They got a guy from Minnesota, got a guy from South Dakota. He's probably the biggest win, though. I mean, just a, a corner with 25 offers from all over the SEC and USC and Oregon were after him. He visited TCU, which is obviously a lot closer to home for him. So um, for them to go into that part of the country for a guy who could play in the Big Ten or the SEC if he wanted to and, you know, guarantee himself inclusion in, in one of those power conferences for him to come and, and agree to come to Washington, at least for now. We'll see if they can hold on to him as with any recruit. Um, it's, it's a pretty big victory for them. So it's Curly Reed and Anthony James. Are they the two? The two marquee recruits from the 23 class? I would say so. And Anthony James, especially because he's he's kind of he's kind of rallied the rest of them a, a little bit. I think he's the guy you see on Twitter hinting at more commitments coming and right. telling people, you know, hey, here's you know, look out for this guy and tweeting cryptic little gifts and stuff to kind of get people excited. And he's 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 tweeting at, at other guys he visited with saying, you know, hey, come play with me at Washington and. Mm-hmm. A guy like that, again, with the, the kind of offer sheet he had, he was committed to Texas A&M at one point. For him to, to to pull the trigger to commit to Washington from Texas with the offers that he had, I mean, even the previous staff, which had recruited a lot in Texas, uh, hadn't ever landed anybody rated as high as he was in that state. So that was also a really significant uh, recruiting victory so, for this new staff. So let's come back to recruiting at the end and how all of this is going to impact recruiting. It's anybody's guess. How shocked do you think Jen Cohen and the rest of the UW officials were with the announcement about USC and UCLA? Is it even possible to keep a secret these days? I got to think they had some advance notice. Now, was it any more than a matter of hours or a a day or two? I don't know. I don't think this was something that anyone across the Pac-12 was really bracing for necessarily. Now, if you go back and look at some of the things Mike Bond has said since he took the AD job at USC, I mean, he flat out said in an interview, I don't know if it was two years ago or so, um, that everything was on the table when it came to USC's future and and conference affiliation and everything. And I think at the time he walked it back maybe just a tiny little bit to kind of soothe the panic some, but I was talking to Bill Moose the other day, the former Washington State Athletic Director, and he fought really, really hard for equal revenue sharing when they did their last media agreement um, with Fox and ESPN, the 12-year deal that was going to pay them $3 billion, and it was such a huge win at the time. And he said that, you know, he he always kind of felt since then that USC and UCLA, which were used to getting a larger share of, of that revenue in the past, kind of miffed them a little bit that now they were on equal footing with everybody. And hey, you know, we're the big Los Angeles market. We're the ones propping this league up. And, you know, why shouldn't we get a bigger cut? And I don't know that was ever stated necessarily, but there's just sort of some things like that running in the background that I think you look at it now in hindsight and it's like, okay, you mm-hmm. you, you can see how, you know, maybe they, they were more inclined to make a move. Frankly, at this point, anybody who's got a chance to go to one of the two, the, what's now the power two, basically, I don't know how you turn it down or, or, or how you justify staying in the Pac-12. How would you characterize the position that UW and Oregon are in at the moment? Are they desired by the super conferences or not? Oregon has the Nike connection and consistently powerful football and basketball programs. And UW has obviously the Seattle market. Uh, well, I, I think clearly they're not desired by the Big Ten right now to the point where they're 
I, I don't think anything's imminent with, you know, it seems like they're going to stand on 16. Now, if Notre Dame wakes up tomorrow and says, okay, yeah, we want in, that changes things. But the way I look at it is, and it's hard because it's going to require some patience and it's probably going to require some maneuvering or, or a merger or whatever in, in the interim. The way I look at it is when these two super leagues get to, gosh, 40, 42, 44 teams, wherever we think it's headed with that number, can you really envision Washington and Oregon not being part no, of it? No. So I, that's, I don't think they need to make a panic move and, oh my God, we need to go to the Big 12 right now, or, you know, we'd you know, the, the, take the next lifeboat out. If the Pac 12 and Big 12, or if the Pac 12 and ACC, can agree on some sort of maybe even media only merger where it's not a merger of the conferences, but it's a partnership on paper this time, assigned assigned contract, assigned agreement that, hey, we're going to play each other. We're going to market our our media rights together. We're going to sell that to ESPN. And that's how you know, that's how we're going to get the resources that our teams are going to need to keep up with these other two leagues. If that comes together in the interim, I think, OK, great. That's that's a short term solution. I think the end game is is clearly to wind up in one of those two leagues, whether we end up calling them the SEC and Big Ten down the road still. Who knows? You know, maybe it'll just be a play on on the NFL's AFC AFC and and NFC. Yeah, we'll we'll see. I just I don't see that coming to fruition and settling into what it's going to be without Washington, Oregon being part of it at at some point. But listeners would say are probably yelling at their podcast right now or at their phones or whatever they yell at. How long is that going to take and where are we going to be? What about the the meantime? Are we going to be out of the mix until the AFC and the NFC in college football exist? And could that be five years from now? Could that be seven years from now? What becomes of us in the meantime? Yeah, it's hard to say. I, I would I, I know that Washington's priority is is above all else going to be guaranteeing its football program access to the playoff. And you can make plenty of jokes about whether they, they have that in the Pac-12 right now. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's funny. Oklahoma and Texas leaving the Big 12 for the SEC was the, the talk of Pac-12 Media Day last year, basically a year ago at this time. And there was a lot of talk about super conferences then and what's next. And, you know, what's the Big Ten going to do? And might the Pac-12 partner with the ACO? And we were here in the ACC last year at this time. And I, I talked to Jen Cohen about the possibility of Washington ending up in a different league than Washington state someday. And oh my gosh, could anybody really stomach that? Is that really possible? And what's Washington's priority in a world where if you're not in one of the two super conferences, you're not competing for the same trophy as everybody else. And, you know, she made clear that, you know, look, they obviously value all their regional ties and, you know, the decision to, to leave the league wouldn't be an athletic directors anyway. So to an extent, you know, you're kind of asking the wrong person, but she was pretty, pretty clear that, as much as her or or you or me might bemoan the direction college football is going and some of the traditions and, and regional ties and stuff falling by the wayside, they want a seat at the table. Kind of the only thing worse than a college football universe with Washington and Washington State split up and not in the same conference anymore would be Washington being left out of of one of those two super leagues or one super league or whatever it looks like. So um, I, I know that access to the championship is a really, really big deal for them. I'm sure that's at the front of their mind as they're going through this. And look, they're in a position of leverage out West, at least. It really it's not fun to be one of the 10 Pac-12 teams that are left behind right now. I think it's a lot less fun to be anyone other than Washington or Oregon. And I, I think they're in position to at least put together a serviceable lifeboat in the meantime. And how truly attached at the hip 
are Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, and how does that hamper anything that happens in the meantime before we get to the suit? The two power conferences. Yeah, I mean, there will be some friction in the form of of talk, you know, and some legislators. You know, you've already seen yeah. Drew Stokesbury, the, the representative from Auburn, saying he's going to introduce legislation to keep, keep the two in the same conference. I, They're not going to happen. I don't think that's going to be a, a huge roadblock. And I don't think I don't think either of those schools, I don't think Washington or Washington State or Oregon or Oregon State are beholden to one another. And we talk about Washington and Oregon as a pair for obvious reasons. Certainly Washington and Oregon are not beholden to one another either. If one's got an opportunity to 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 make the right move for itself, it's going to. I think Washington would love to stay in the same league as Wazoo. There's a very congenial relationship between those two schools at the upper campus level, at the AD level. Jen Cohen and Pat Chun are good friends. Uh, they see themselves as as stewards of of this of education in this state and in this region. They've been together in the same conference for a long time. But if push comes to shove and it's hey, you have a chance to join this league to guarantee access to a championship to bring in enough revenue to stay competitive nationally, to recruit the way you need to and all these things. And it means that they're leaving Washington state behind. I think this, this era we're in, I don't see that being a, a deal breaker for them, even though there, there will be some noise, there will be some friction. That's too bad. I don't, I, I yeah. don't like that. I, I don't, I don't like to envision a future where yeah. you know, all these rivalries fall by the wayside, but unfortunately it's already happening. Everybody blames Larry Scott, Christian, for the Pac-12 Network's disaster and the contract that you talked about that was so incredible at the time. It was so long. It was too long for them to get out of it and, and adjust. How about George Klyovkov? Was he asleep at the wheel in the last year? Could he have done something to get in front of this? Or there was, as you say, once USC and UCLA got the opportunity, there was nothing anybody could do. Yeah, it just seems like the forces that were going to make this happen were already in motion. Now, look, you're the commissioner of of the league, getting paid what a commissioner of a, of a Power 5 league is getting paid. You don't get to skirt responsibility fully. But at one year on the job, I mean, shoot, he, he walks into the league with with – Oklahoma and Texas rocking the landscape, leaving for the for the SEC. He's fielding calls from the Big 12, has to make decisions on that. There was a lot going on from day one. I don't know that there's anything more he could have done to keep USC and UCLA satisfied and, and feeling like, I mean, they finally got off the mat. USC did, you know, they've, they've finally got their stuff together and hired an AD who is really savvy and really sharp. And as we've, as we've learned cutthroat and ruthless in the pursuit of, of winning and positioning his program to win, they go out and hire Lincoln Riley. They were set to bring a lot of energy to the conference. And I suppose they will for the next two years, maybe, but I don't put a ton of blame on, on George Klyovkov. I think, Everybody's looking to him for these next steps. If the conference dissipates and and splinters and he's not able to go to market and put together some kind of media agreement or expansion or, again, merger or or partnership with another league, then I think you say, OK, he, he didn't get it done. But, yeah, I, I think you can you can put this one on Larry Scott for the most part. And back to recruiting for a minute. You talked about the two four star guys that are uh, ready to go to the University of Washington. Uncertainty can never be a good thing for an 18-year-old trying to figure out their best path to the National Football League. Yeah, I, it's interesting because I think you you put yourself in their shoes. You're 17 years old. 
you're going into your senior year of high school, you're visiting all these schools, meeting all these coaches, developing relationships. You, you go see campus, you sit through all their presentations about nutrition and academics and NIL. Now you learn all about how they structure their program and their meetings and what your day is going to be like and where you're going to live and all these things. I still think that experience and not, not necessarily at Washington. I just mean when you go through all that and you decide, okay, this is the best fit for me, wherever it is. I still think in most cases, that's going to trump any of this super high level future, you know, considerations about what conference am I going to be in? Look, if, if Washington's recruiting a kid who's, who's also talking to Notre Dame and, and some SEC schools and some big 10 schools and those coaches get in his ear and are like, Oh, you're looking at Washington. You're looking at Oregon. You know, you're look. you look, I mean, we don't even know what league they're going to be in. We know we're going to have access to the championship. We might have our own championship. This is this is college football in the Big Ten and SEC. This is what people are going to be watching. You know that. You don't know where they're going to. So that's that's definitely I think yeah. could could be persuasive. And I think you're going to see some kids hold off at least a little bit to to maybe hope for some resolution before they have to pick a school. But you know, for the most part, I think the relationships are going to trump that in the short term. At least with this 2023 class, 2024 will be interesting. You know, because then the, those coaches in those other leagues are going to have a long leeway, long run up of being able to yeah. say, eh, I don't know. I don't know. Are they going to uh, can you even can you even play for a title there? Like, are, are, are is even, people even going to be able to see your games? You know, who knows? So I, I think this next class could really be affected by it. But, you know, again, I go back to at least Washington and Oregon in particular. I still think. The messaging is pretty simple on their end that, you know, hey, no, we don't know where we're going to end up yet. No, we can't tell you what the future looks like. But look around, look at who has won in this conference over the last five to 10 years. Do you really believe that if you come here, you're, you're not going to end up with a seat at the table? I think that's probably their their pitch in the interim. And before Christian Capel is allowed to go back to daycare scheduling, the quarterback <laughs> position for the upcoming season at the University of Washington. Everybody's dying to know. So I have two questions for you. Dylan Morris, Sam Heward, Michael Penix Jr. Everybody knows the story of all three by now. A, do you believe the coaching staff pretty much knows who's going to be the starter as we sit here today? And B, if Christian Capel, daycare scheduler, was also a Vegas odds maker, and you had to put up on the board the three guys with odds next to them, which way, what numbers would you put next to each guy? So there's two questions for you. I don't think the staff has decided because I think if if we're to take Kalen DeBoer at, at his word with how he wants to handle these things, and I think we should, I think they would love every year to have the quarterback decided, you know, either going into spring or coming out of spring. They talk a lot about, you know, how hard it is for the guy who's eventually going to be the guy to really establish himself as a leader and to really like if they'd said coming out of spring, okay, it's Michael Penix Jr., it's Dylan Morris. Now that guy's going to go through summer with all that juice with his teammates, right? And, you know, having that, you know, definitive thought behind him that I'm the guy and now I can rally everybody. And so I think you'd always want that. So the fact that they're not naming a guy yet and they want to go through summer and into camp, I I don't think they've decided. I'd probably say Michael Penix Jr. is the favorite. I don't know. Let's call it two to one. Maybe that's given too much money. 
Okay. Uh, Dylan Morris or Sam Heward, the second favorite? I think I think it's Dylan Morris, and I'm really? pretty conf- I'm pretty confident in that. Wow. Um, I think it's based on what we saw in spring. It it seemed like those two were. I think you know, Kalen DeBoer said after the spring game that the Penix and and Morris had combined for like two interceptions all through spring, and so that's you know a really big deal to them taking care of the ball. You know, this is a, a staff that put up a ton of yards and points last year with Jake Hayner. And, you know, a guy who doesn't have the traditional size and stuff, big arm, definitely can make a lot of throws. I think Dylan Morris is maybe a little bit, you know, in a similar mold where he's a little bit undersized. I think they feel like in in their system, you know, I think they like him. I think they really like what he did in the spring. He's got the mental makeup to be able to put last year behind him. He's not the kind of guy who's going to dwell on that. I don't think he considered transferring for a second. He's a, he's a local guy who wants to be there and is bought in. And so you know, I think Sam Heward made progress, too. I think he had his best practice of the spring in the spring game. So everybody got to see it. And, you know, that was I think that was exciting for fans to kind of see the progress he's made. I, I do feel like Dylan Morris is is um, probably best positioned to challenge Penix at this point. And so what becomes of the two guys in the coming years? It's a good question. If there's two quarterbacks at a school who you you might be able to keep together on the roster beyond this year. Right. It's it's kind of those those two type of guys. Both really grew up huge Husky fans, Sam Heward for very obvious reasons. Dylan Morris also pretty obvious. He's local and, you know, was a a, a star quarterback at Graham Kapowson and it, you know was was recruited by a number of teams that would have liked to have him. I don't think Sam Heward's afraid of competition or shies away from competition. I don't know if if those two guys look at Michael Penix Jr. as a one-year guy. It's his fifth year. He does have eligibility through next oh, season. So okay, I yeah, he does because of because of the COVID. because of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I you know I don't know if he's thinking this is a one-year stop or if he might he might stick around for his sixth year. But oh. if if you assume he might want to move on after five years in school. Uh, Heward and Morris probably feel like, okay, 2023, it's it's on. And it's, you know, both those guys probably are, are pretty confident in their ability to win the job. So Pen- if it's Penix all year, if he's a starter, he plays, or if it's Morris all year, maybe you get a little bit of Sam Heward. I don't know that that guarantees that either of those guys is going to transfer out, but you certainly don't rule it out either. If you're Sam Heward and you feel like, gosh, I've been in college for two years now, they seem to like the other guy better, who's also got some eligibility left. And I already sat behind a grad transfer, you know, who who knows. But um, if ever there were two guys who you could conceivably see sticking around in spite of one of them having to sit on the bench, I think it would be the, the two guys they've got. Christian Capel, The Athletic, the University of Washington. I'm a subscriber since the beginning. Become a subscriber and follow them all. All season long. I hope we can have you back. I hope you'll come back to Mitch Unfiltered. And we appreciate you juggling everything that's going over there family-wise and and (laughs) squeezing us in. Thank you, Christian. Thanks for doing it. All right. Thank you. I don't know much, but I know this. It takes a lot longer for summer to arrive in the Northwest than Zeke's Pizza to your door. Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Hiya, Dan. What's new in the Zeke's Pizza world these days? Yeah, no kidding. Only takes us 30 minutes. Takes summer a lot longer. (laughs) Uh, Lots of new stuff in the Zeke's world. You and I tend to talk about new store openings a lot, and we got a good one coming up at the end of July. We're opening at Terrace Station, which is a transit-oriented development right off I-5 up in Mount Lake Terrace, kind of north of 205th. And 
it is going to be a really cool restaurant. It's really big. It's a full blown pizza pub. It's got a huge outdoor patio. It's going to be a cool spot. Nice. And what pizza is Dan Black and the Black family focusing on these days? <laughs> we are eating nothing but pepperoni right nice. now. And it's because we have this great new locally sourced pepperoni that we're putting on all of our pizzas. We just switched over. Local company called Coro. They used to be Salumi. You know, we typically don't do local just for the sake of local. We end up doing a lot of local stuff because it tastes better. We want as much of our purchasing power to go into flavor as opposed to transportation. And so we end up local a lot and it feels good to be doing it on the pepperoni because it noticeably tastes a lot better. So we've been eating a lot of it. Of course, we like doing business with our friends and family and neighbors and stuff uh, when we can. And so, yeah, it's been all pepperoni all the time for the black family lately. I'm not a huge drinker, but I'm very much aware of your Northwest beer selection, Dan. Tell me about Z-Side Frozen IPA. Yeah, as, as you know, Mitch, we do a lot of what we call collab beers, and that's that's when we partner with local breweries, and they, they brew a batch of beer that basically is exclusively Zeke's. And so at any given time, we have three or four really great Northwest beers on that you can only get at Zeke's. It's kind of what's special about us. But this summer, our flagship is Z-Side Frozen IPA. We're doing it with Fremont Brewing. Almost everybody knows who Fremont is. They're one of the biggest uh, breweries in the Northwest. They have that great outdoor beer garden that everybody loves. And they, you know, they just brew great beer. Z-Side, it's a light drinking summer IPA. It was made with an experimental hop that they froze at the time of harvest last fall. Mm -hmm. And so it tastes really fresh and is really light drinking, really good for summer. Man, a lot of good things going on at Zeke's Pizza these days. We really appreciate their support back in the radio days and now on the podcast, Mitch Unfiltered. We love them. Zeke's Pizza, homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. When you're a teenager, you're at a certain stage in your life where you're kind of like a beginner. It's kind of like a first try at everything in life. And when something abrupt like someone you know dying from suicide happens, it hits like a wrecking ball. Everyone is different, very different. Since the beginning of this podcast four years ago, we have dedicated a good chunk of time away from sports on mental health, especially as it relates to younger people. Our Surgeon General has called it a real and widespread problem in our youth. Ken Burns and PBS has released a new documentary called Hiding in Plain Sight. The film's directors and editors, brothers Eric and Chris Ewers, are with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, boys? Thank you for being with us. We're good. Thank you. Great. You want to start by talking sports, Chris? Who's your favorite basketball team? Uh, I can't stand basketball. <laughs> However, uh, I'm a diehard Red Sox fan. You are, of course. You're we grew one up, of those. Eric and I grew up in. We grew up in Massachusetts. Yeah. God, had, um, had Danielle told me that, we wouldn't have done. I would have canceled the interview. I didn't realize that. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, you love to hate us, right? <laughs> Eric, 23 different youths from diverse backgrounds who have struggled in some way, shape, or form over four hours of this film. Tell us more, please, for our audience who has have not heard or seen it. Basically, Chris and I saw to, um, the best way to describe it is create a tapestry of lived experience um, across 
all types of cultures, um, uh, genders, um, experiences, economic background. Um, the whole idea was to find this cross section of youth so that we could get all perspectives on this, this crisis that's in our country. And what we really found is by letting them tell their stories and getting out of the way, just letting them be themselves and tell their story the way they see it. We not only learn what mental illness is, where it maybe has come from, what it looks like, and most importantly, how it feels in a way that we really haven't looked at the topic. Most importantly, what I think happens is we, we see ourselves in the stories. Um, and that relatability is really what the strength of this film is all about. Chris, between the pandemic, the social issues in our country, the political strife, this has not been an easy period for America's youth. It certainly hasn't. I think it's really interesting that on the topic of, of mental health challenges, mental illness, and children in particular, I think that that us, the older generations, parents, even certainly grandparents, have were too quick to you know diminish their experiences, thinking that, oh, well, you're just nine, you're just 11, you're just 15. Then on top of that, as you said, Kids these days are growing up in, in an environment, in a world that we are completely unfamiliar with. But it, it wasn't since the Industrial Revolution up until the, you know, the early 90s, I think that we could reasonably expect to understand what, child, what our children's you know, upbringing, what their childhood experiences were like, because not much albeit had changed during that time from the early nineties on, you know, at the start of the information age, certainly with the, the inception of the, of the internet and now with social media, et cetera, we really don't understand partially because we can't, we didn't have, we didn't share the same experiences, What we realized through the, the process of this film and, and what the viewers will see, you know, through each of the, the lived experience of these 23 amazing individuals is that, you know, we need to do a better job of listening. You know, it's interesting that you you point that out because I was going to ask later, so I might as well follow up with it now, Chris, to underscore that we can't really relate as parents. It's also, maybe I'm just speaking for myself because I vividly remember my youth and growing up. It's hard for me to put that on the shelf. Of course. To put myself and my experiences away because they're not, they're not really applicable here. They aren't. I think that uh, that for us, we do we do our youth a, a great disjustice by trying to apply our experiences to them to try to project right. Right. our ideals, our values to a certain extent, at least when it comes to, to mental health challenges on them. A subject in the film, this girl named Billy, she puts its best. She says, uh, you know, for adults don't understand, um, it's like trying to run old software on a new hard hard drive. It's just not going to work. That's what the, our youth are up against right now. I mean, not only, as you said, are we are we living in a, at a pretty tumultuous time, pandemics, divis, political divisiveness, et cetera, you know, social justice movements. We're going backwards in many regards. Not only do they, are they living with that, but they also don't know who to talk to and how to talk about it. Um, so I think that one of the great lessons from the film is that these, you know, these kids, they're inspiring us to do just that, to start to listen, to have empathy, to be able to relate 
and they're they're imploring us to do so. I think um, one counterpoint to that, I agree with everything that Chris said and, and what you said too. A counterpoint to that is, while that is all true, I still think my experiences, for example, as a child, I find the experiences of many of our youth in the film directly relatable to what I went through oh, on really? a, on an emotional, really? um, yeah, an emotional and feelings level. I was a very, I was an outsider. I didn't play with a lot of kids. I had issues growing up and went to a psychiatrist when I was nine years old. So this film actually reawakened a lot of the things that I maybe did put away on a shelf, but I was through the stories of these young people. There are certain aspects of human emotion that is timeless and universal. And I did see myself in there and by seeing myself was able to address the things that I have never addressed. Eric, Chris talks a lot about listening. You talk a lot about listening to me in, in all of our different interviews on the subject over the years on this show. That's been the critical word, listening. In general, we just don't really listen to each other. And you kind of compound that, Eric, when it comes to kids, because it's so easy for adults to listen to kids with one ear and be kind of dismissive of what they're saying. Exactly. Uh, first of all, it's uh, it's really hard to listen when you're brothers. <laughs> uh, Chris, Chris and I have our own story to tell, but bottom line, tying into your question is we listen very carefully to each other in a way perhaps we never had growing up. Um, and you, you hit the nail on the head, Mitch, because my biggest issue in my mental health journey was not listening. I had to be right. I had to dominate a conversation I had to. And it was all coming from a guilt and an insecurity that uh, is now defined as my anxiety and my obsessive compulsive um, tendencies um, in the way I think. And therefore, I didn't let my wife speak. I didn't let my kids speak. Um, and that is exactly what Chris is speaking about. And you're speaking about it. It, it prevents young people from having their own voice. And if it's not a right or wrong thing, it's about feelings and emotions. And if you give them that space by listening, they're going to benefit in ways that I never did. Chris, are you a parent? I am. Yeah. I've got two kids, what, six and nine. What are some of the things that either of you or you, Chris, either surprised you or maybe you just never really considered until you heard some of those 23 voices on this uh, terrific film that you guys did. That is the million dollar question, Mitch. <laughs> uh, my wife and I, uh, our, our, old, our eldest, our nine-year-old uh, has had her own mental health uh, challenges uh, since about the age of four. They became, they worsened. Uh, she had suicide ideation, um, aggression, and as parents, prior to the, the process of making this film, we had no idea how to handle it. Um, we had no idea how to support her. We had, I mean, we were, you know, we, we did what is expected. We, you know, we, we dismissed a lot of it. And in the really scary stuff, you know, we told ourselves and her, oh, well, you don't, you don't know what you're talking about. You don't mean that. And then we embarked on on this journey and it was almost instantaneous. Wow. Uh, that I, I began to see myself, Chris, my wife, uh, our daughter, both of our kids in every single one 
of the youth that we interviewed and in wow. some way, shape or form. And I was listening, doing exactly what we were just talking about, listening to their stories, their experiences, sort of gleaming best practices and worst practices and seeing where, you know, where we were, we were coming up short. And it was, it was through all of that, through these incredible youth and young adults that uh, we finally realized and understood and evolved to be able to support her in the way that she needs. I mean, her life did a 180 from the time that we started this film. Wow. The name of the film is Hiding in Plain Sight. Eric, there's no question that the greatest fear for parents is that we'll miss it. You know, we try to check in from time to time. We had a running back out here named Marshawn Lynch who would call it their mentals, checking in on their mentals. How do we differentiate between kind of normal adolescent up and downs, ups and downs, and uneven behavior with other mood shifts that might be a lot more serious than that? Well, I think it goes without saying that a a mental health expert would be the best suited uh, as a professional to answer that question. But what we observed, without a doubt, is it really has to do with sustainability. How long are they sustaining a certain kind of mood or temperament? Is it affecting the way that they socialize with their friends? Is it affecting the way they, their grades, um, their desire to do things? All these little hints. And I think if parents stop asking their kids, how, how did you do in school today? But really focus on how are you today? let me in. Is there anything just keeping that, that door open allows that space for someone to, to speak up mm-hmm. even, you know, with this, this cultural separation, if you will, between um, or generational separation between parents and kids. I think if you can re- get them to relate to something that maybe you went through, if they're breaking up with a girlfriend or a boyfriend and you talk about your experience with that, mm-hmm. I would bet, that there would be some kind of similarity because love is love and loss is loss that, you know, it's always providing that environment to show that you're eager to listen. I think whether they're a teen and they don't want to tell you anything and roll their eyes, they're still hearing it. And they're still hearing that genuine desire in the parent. Chris, Eric points out that I asked him a question that's more appropriate for somebody else which is exactly what I've been doing for the last 30 years. So I'll continue that trend here with you. Uh, Eric also talked about how are you today? We've had a number of interviews on our show, uh, the last of which was a young professional tennis player who has come out and talked about her, her struggles with mental health and her attempted suicide. Everybody on the outside thought that she had it all. And I tend to ask the question, is there a right way or a tact to take as a parent when checking in on your kid? After talking to these 21, 23 youths in your movie, do you feel like that there's an answer to that question? Or is every kid approached differently, do you think? It's a great question. Um, it, it was, in fact, asked of a panel of 15 or so of the subjects from the film the night that we premiered it. And several of them gave their opinions and they were all pretty similar. All of them wanted the respect of their parents to be 
upset to not have all the answers to be in a, in a moment and whether it be in crisis or moody, um, they all wanted space, but each one of them wanted to know that they were supported, that someone was there for them, that, um, you know, should they want to talk, should they feel like they can open up that there was no judgment. It was surprising to me, I think, on my own experiences to come to the realization that, you know, as a parent, we can't fix everything. We shouldn't fix everything. If we fix everything, then our children don't have to do anything for themselves. They're not learning. They're not uh, maturing. Um, and especially in this instance, we don't know how to fix <laughs> these problems, no. you know, and, and the best thing that we can do is, is be there and be supportive. And again, to listen, to have empathy, to uh, even though we don't understand, and even though it is scary as a parent, we have to be present and we have to allow our children to go through it to a certain extent on their own and validate their feelings. It's yeah. about validation. It's not a right or wrong. That's where at least I went wrong as a parent and I'm, I'm willing to admit it. It, it. It's really about saying, okay, I understand that you feel that way. I get it. That's being heard mm-hmm. as opposed to being dismissed. And I, and I would imagine Eric, that the other issue is that there's a huge percentage of troubled young people out there that don't want to talk to their parents about it. We're the last people on earth they want to talk to about these things. So how, how do we guide them to the right set of ears? Incredible question. I think it's all about understanding that someone cares about you. Um, if you have neglectful parents or parents you're afraid to talk to, maybe they're the source of the problem that you're experiencing. It, it's all about finding that person who can be your person that will invest their time and their effort and their emotion and their energy into listening to what you have to say. Sometimes, it, it, you know, it could be a friend, it could be a teacher, it could be um, clergy, um, your local church, it could be neighbors, it could be wh- whomever you trust. And sometimes it could be an anonymous but trusted, in quotes, person online. Sharing your experience in these chat groups where they talk about like-minded people talk about what they're enduring or what they're going through. There is, in fact, a series of communities out there. If you're wary and try and find the right one, I don't know enough about it. But I do know that out of our 23 kids, the majority of them sought comfort and solace in social media um, chat groups that understand their problems and can and can talk to them. Relate to them, which is a perfect segue, Chris, to the education process in schools. A, are we doing enough? And B, how difficult is it to get films and documentaries like yours into classrooms? Are public school districts receptive to that idea? So to answer the first part of your question, we're not doing nearly enough. There is a story in the film about this in particular. Uh, I don't want to give anything away. Needless to say, we are not, we we weren't prepared for our mental health needs prior to the pandemic, prior to Black Lives Matter, prior to, you know, anything that's going on. Um, And we certainly are not prepared now um, in the wake of all of this, this stuff. In school systems, our children spend the vast majority during the school year of their day at school with their peers, with their teachers, et cetera. 
the the front lines for early detection. These could be, as Patrick Kennedy is very fond of saying, a checkup from the neck up. You know, we get we get physical checks in school and we're still just completely ignoring our mental health in these environments. I think that uh, that the education is absolutely paramount. I think well, it would require uh, a, a Herculean effort, I think, to, to fully turn the system around to acknowledge this. But at very least, I mean, with, with, with our experiences and with this film, um, we're actually in the process of divvying the film up into teachable chapters. Um, we have had uh, lengthy conversations about the use of this film and these topics for classroom discussion. And I think that it is, uh, it's incredibly important that, yeah. that we, we see yeah. this through. And, you know, we're, we have 988, which is starting on Sunday. Um, it's definitely a step in the right direction, but there's still a lot more that we have to do. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, Eric, that these four hours could save a lot of lives if, a, if enough young people see it. And I don't mean just from the standpoint of youths that are silently struggling. I'm thinking about the other side, all the kids that are doing well that watch this and might be able to notice when a friend or a cousin or somebody in their classroom is struggling. And that could be the difference between life and death. Absolutely. Absolutely. I, I think uh, Tom Insel says in the film that even a small road bump, bump in the road, a small speed bump can change the trajectory of someone who is who has suicidal ideation. And they're most likely not going to try it again if they have that little obstacle that gets in the way. And that can be a friend. It could be a parent. It could be it could be education, like Chris was speaking about in the school system. Everyone has told us since we started making this film more and more that this film could literally say, save lives. Our challenge is how do we get that message? The film speaks for itself. This is not about me. It's not about Chris. It's not about Ewers Brothers or Ken Burns or PBS. It's about helping kids. And it's the dream of, I think, any documentary filmmaker. If you're going to make a film, you're hoping that your documentary will inspire and, and perhaps instigate change. Mm. And to see how well this has been received, we're getting calls from uh, PBS and WETA, the broadcasting station. And they're saying it's getting bigger and bigger by the day. We have whole school systems who want to screen Fantastic. all four hours. Fantastic. We have whole communities that want to have special permission to air it. It's the power of what Patrick Kennedy said to us at the beginning. Um, the best advice we received in making the film, he said, Eric, you got to talk about the bad first. Because if you start with the good, no one is going to listen. Really? And this is coming from a man who had to step down as a former congressman because of addiction and alcoholism and realizing he has bipolar symptoms and anxiety and depression. And he's 100 percent right. And that's why our film is honest and unapologetic. But you have to follow that journey from the beginning. See the hardship see the recogni recognition of that, the acceptance and the healing. And what I love so much about the film is quite simple. It's the kids that are talking. It's the youth that are talking. And really, the youth, they want to hear from each other. They don't want to hear from experts. 
They probably don't even want to hear from adults. They want to hear from their peers. And I think exactly. that will capture their attention better than everything else. Chris, where do we find this? If our audience wants to simply watch, is it streaming on PBS? Is it, I, I think I saw Amazon Prime. What's the best way you would tell our audience to watch this, Chris? Either way, it will be streaming uh, for, the, for the month uh, for free on PBS.org. And I know that it is also available on Amazon Prime. And the Boston Red Sox, notwithstanding, you guys are good guys. Thank you very, very much. <laughs> the Ewers brothers on Mitch Unfiltered. And the next time they're going to be on, they've already committed. They're going to come on our show when the Mariners, the Seattle Mariners, knock the Red Sox out of the postseason in 2022. That'll be their next visit on Mitch we'll, Unfiltered. Yeah, we'll, we'll, come, we'll come on naked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think any of us want that. Eric Ewers and Chris Ewers, thank you guys. Thanks so very much. Congratulations. Thank a, br- you. a brilliant film, a, a film that's going to make a big difference the more people and kids see this. Thank you so much. Thanks, we Mitch. appreciate it. Thank you. It's time to check back in with John Waterstrat of Fireside Home Solutions. He's back with us. Fireplaces, garage doors, you name it. How goes it over there, John? It's doing great. Uh, we've had to get through this mucky weather like you know, Mitch, but it uh, <laughs> looks like the sun's popping back out. Things are starting to shine a little bit more. Like everywhere else, you and I have been talking about the wait times for non-stock orders because of the shipping issue that everybody has. Are you seeing any improvement on that end? We definitely have seen some improvement. I can't say it's going to be quick, but uh, it has improved. And uh, our manufacturers have done a wonderful job of just looking at their processes, looking at what we're going through right now, these shortages, and and doing a good job to get lead times down. And what do you think they are? Uh, Sometimes it depends. Like I said, we always have the stock list, and we can talk about that. But uh, we also have some things that are on longer lead times. But instead of waiting 30 weeks, we've kind of shrunk that down maybe to 18 to 20 weeks. Like I said, it's not short, but it's gotten better. But there's always that option of purchasing and installing a unit that's in your inventory, which is what we did here at the Levy household. So let's walk through that for a second. The Fireside Home Solutions team comes to your home free of charge. They look at your space, analyze and listen to your needs. Then we visit one of your many showrooms in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Just talk to your sales rep. We'll come out to your house. We'll look at what you want and then just let your sales rep know. Is it speed that you need? If you need that, we'll get the stock list together. We'll find something that works and we can get that installed in about three weeks. If you have some time, let us know and we can get exactly what you want. And we just have to be patient, just like in any any order that we're talking about with these longer lead times. Perfect. A few years ago, you guys wandered into the garage door market too. How's that been going? Because I'm hearing about some exciting things coming down the line. Yeah, it's been great. We've continued to grow that business. And uh, here in the fall, we're going to go ahead and open a showroom in Tacoma. It's going to help the South Sound areas. And it's going to be really nice to be able to have Bellevue, Auburn and Tacoma and just be able to help those customers in Pacific Northwest. That's awesome. Now, before you go, you have to tell our audience where you were for the first time in the middle of April and what you thought. Oh, uh, I got to have that bucket list checked off and I was able to get to Augusta. Pretty awesome. Awesome to watch Scotty Seffler uh, hit some great shots, but the course is just a special place. Well, I'll say it then. We love Fireside Home Solutions, a tradition unlike any other and a great partner of Mitch Unfiltered. Hey, it's great to have Daniel CEO Lindsey Schwartz back with us on Mitch Unfiltered, despite his complaints that my questions are too long. Lindsay, how's everything at Daniel's? How was June, a month of celebration? 
Hey, Mitch, great to be back. Yeah, you know what? I, uh, I'm i used to the long questions, so I can handle it. It's all good. June is great. You know that we're all about celebrations at Daniels and lots of opportunities to celebrate in June. Kind of starts out with proms, goes into graduations and Father's Day. It's just great to see families celebrating, young people celebrating. June is a special month for us. One of the underrated layers and elements to Daniel's broiler is summertime on the outside decks and seating, and you offer options at all of your locations. Yeah, I think what's great about Daniel's and and one of the reasons we've been around so long is the locations that we have. There's three great locations with outdoor seating. You got Daniel's Leshy with views of Lake Washington and Mount Rainier. You got Bellevue up top looking over Lake Washington at the Seattle skyline and Lake Union. You see the the seaplanes. You see the sailboats. Lots of great things to see in the summertime here. Yes, and I apologize in advance about my last question, which will be lengthy. But Max Levy, who buses at South Lake Union and loves it there, loves all of his co-workers, at times complains that Bellevue has an unfair advantage by the name of Jim Washburn. Tell everybody in our audience who Jim Washburn is, Lindsay. Yeah, it's true. It does have an unfair advantage, and we're so lucky to have Jim Washburn. He's the piano player at Daniel's Bellevue, and if you can believe this, he's been with us for over 30 years. He's been entertaining people for over three decades. He's there Thursdays through Saturdays from 7 to 11 p.m. People have been coming to see him for years and years. Everybody loves him, young and old. He's one of the few guys who's been around as long as you and I have. And uh, for those who haven't seen him, get up there and see him because it's, it's a real treat. Summertime at Daniel's, outside seating, all kinds of special opportunities. We love Daniel's Broiler, a great partner since back in the radio days. Daniel's Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. With Mike Wardian, we're just north of Baltimore, and you are so close to the finish line, man. How does it feel? I saw your Instagram post. I mean, just crossing into Virginia, you seem to get emotional. Oh, they're high. I mean, we're within 150 miles of finishing, which um, we're going to have another 50-mile day today and then uh, finish it off with a 100-plus miler starting tomorrow and just run till we're done. So I asked my producer, Steve, to book Forrest Gump on the show And I guess our next guest will have to be satisfactory. He's the next best thing. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Arlington, Virginia resident, Michael Wardian. Hi, Michael. How are you? I'm good, man. How are you guys? Well, I'm good. But Michael, 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 what the heck did you do? It was just a movie, Forrest Gump. It wasn't to be taken so literally or seriously, Michael. I know, man, but I did. I was inspired uh, by Forrest Gump, and I decided to run across the money uh, a little bit different than him. I I was trying to raise $100,000 for clean water projects, so I was doing it for a charity called World Vision USA, and we actually ended up raising, so far, uh, it's still money, people are still donating, but so far, $115,000, and we've changed uh, 2,200 uh, people's lives. So, Beautiful. So dude, at, it's so cool. So yeah. at the end, you'll tell us exactly how our listeners and our audience can participate. They're going to decide, Michael, whether to participate based on whether they like you or not. So this, <laughs> is, a, this is very important. Any chance that you're going to go play running back at Alabama or that you're good at ping pong and you're going to get internationally famous playing ping pong? Did you invest 
in a fruit company called Apple at any point along the way, Michael? Uh, so I have invested in Apple, probably like every, everybody else who has a Vanguard 500 index fund. Um, and then I, I don't play ping pong, but I play the next best thing, pickleball. So I am trying to go pro and pickleball and I would definitely do a trip to China, uh, to play pickleball for sure. So Michael Wardian went out for a little jog and he never came back. 3,234 miles, 3,234 miles, 13 states. Your goal, Michael, was to do it in 75 days or less. How long did it take you to do it? Uh, It took me, I think, 61 days and 23 hours, uh, 50 minutes. So a a little bit under what we projected. Um, But I was I was excited. I wanted to I started May 1st of this year and finished July 1st. I had a little bit of a buffer in there. I was hoping to finish before uh, July 4th and definitely before my son's Pierce's uh, 16th birthday, which is July 11th. So how many people have ever done this? You'll tell, you'll tell the story. You started in San Francisco with a crazy beginning. I know. Why are we, why are we running West to come back East? But we'll get there. There's so many questions I have, Michael, how many people have done what you've accomplished? Do you know? Um, yeah. My understanding is it's about 400 people total. So it's less people than have been into space actually. So it's, wow. it's a pretty small group of uh, individuals that have tackled this. And I'd say my time of 61 days is definitely not the fastest, but it's one of probably, probably top 10 or so uh, times to run that kind of distance. I actually have a couple of friends doing it right now, going east to west. So uh, one one guy, uh, Greg Nance, is actually going to end up right where you are, I think, in Seattle in the next couple of days. Uh, and then another guy, Richard Donovan, who's going to end up in L.A. So. so how does it work? You start in San Francisco. How many miles a day? How many hours are you running? How fast are you going? You have a guy in an RV driving pretty much alongside that's where you're sleeping night just give us the overall sense the visual of what this looks like if you don't mind yeah of course yeah so uh we started in uh san francisco city hall on may 1st at 7 a.m a group of about mm, i don't know 20 people and i started running when i planned the route originally i decided that i wanted to start at city hall what i didn't realize is that city hall is not um not actually that close to the ocean, uh, the Pacific ocean. And so I had to run six miles, uh, the wrong way to get to the, um, to get to the Pacific ocean instead of just going right over to the golden gate bridge, which is what I wanted to do, but it was awesome. We got to see San Francisco. It's one of my favorite cities. I always do the San Francisco marathon. And so I got to run a little bit on the marathon course with some of the people from the marathon. So I had a really nice day, went over into Marin and then the goal was to average 50 miles a day. So the first day, I think I did 56 miles. And then from there, it was just basically trying to hit 50 miles every day. Um, how it worked uh, logistically was every about five to six miles. I would meet uh, my friend Eric Bells uh, and my dad, Dick Wardian, in the RV and get some food and water. Uh, and then I just keep doing that. So it was basically... 10, 10 aid stations, you know, every hour, hour and a half. And I just did that. Like we basically saw the, saw the country five miles, six miles at a time. So you're saying you ran two marathons a day, every single, yeah. every single day for 61, 62 days. Is that what you're saying? 
Actually, it was only for 60 days because the last day I ran 104 miles. So I did a hundred miler uh, the last day. I, I didn't think it was possible. No, no, I, I'm serious because I don't run. I, I didn't think it was possible to run marathons, marathons, marathons. I thought you had to, you know, stagger it and run a little here and a little there, build yourself up. I didn't even know that it's possible to run that much every single day. Yeah, it's it's weird. I've uh, I've been uh, known for that for a long time. Um, one of the things I'm most well known is for setting the world record for running seven marathons in seven days on seven continents. So, um, I do have some history with this and I've done a lot of, uh, races where you, you run kind of altered distances each day. But for me, this was kind of my biggest project, uh, to date. What time do you wake up? What time do you go to bed? Do you get a lot of sleep? Do you just zonk out as soon as you finish running for a day? What is that all about? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, so each day uh, we started at 6 a.m. after the first couple days. So 6 a.m. was the start time. Uh, most days the alarm went off at 4.30, 4.45, have some breakfast, and then you know, kind of go to the bathroom, get ready, tape your feet, get to wherever you – because you don't just end right where you – ended the day before. So sometimes you have to drive to the hotel or an RV park or something okay. like that. Right. You can't just stop on the side of the interstate, you know, and just spend the night. So there are some logistics there. So if, it, if that was the case, we'd have to wake up a little earlier uh, and then really just kind of get on the road at six in the morning and then just keep going until about six o'clock at night. So wow. each day was about a 12 hour day of running. Wow. Uh, that's including stops to eat. And like some days I had to work cause I still worked as an international shipbroker during the run. So yeah, some days, you know, were more difficult than others, but for the most part, Eric and my dad and a guy named Henry took great care of me. And then, wow. uh, as I went along more and more people came to join the run. So it was kind of Forrest Gumpy, like you said, you wow. know, like some days we'd have 30 people running with us. Uh, but I'd say the majority of the time, probably 80% of the time I was by myself and just with my crew. And then as we got closer to cities, more and more people came out and it was just amazing. It was everything I hoped it would be. Elevation changes, snow, yeah, snow. Yeah. We had snow, sleet, hail, wind, rain, 40 or 50 mile an hour wind gusts. Yeah. Really kind of hazardous conditions at various points, heat indexes of over 110 degrees. Yeah. Pretty much every kind of weather that you can imagine, but still got the miles in every day. And I just had a blast, man. It was one of those things that was just incredible. What was in your ears? Were you listening to stuff? Were you listening to books, music, nothing alone with your thoughts? Did it get, I and, and then part B is, did it get easier as it went along? Because, I mean, you're obviously in tip-top physical condition. You're a former lacrosse player, from what I understand. Maybe a silly question, but as you go along and your body gets used to this kind of rigorous activity, does it get exponentially easier and then harder? Is there like a curve, some sort of a bell curve to this, Michael? Yeah. I mean, those are all great questions. As far as starting at the beginning, I'd say I listened to over 35 audiobooks. Um, I'd listened to podcasts. Uh, I listened to a gazillion hours of music uh, and I became like before this, I was a music fan, but now I'm like a, a true like audiophile. Like I love everything that has to do with music started going to more live shows already since I've been back became really impassioned with, with music. And yeah. So everyone I talked to before this that had done it said, if you make it through the first two weeks, you'll make it. 
Um, so I was really cautious the first two weeks. Uh, and I did kind of build the fitness as I went, but what I didn't count on, and you're right, I was thinking like, Oh, it'll just get easier. Once your body gets used to it is the amount of fitness is almost exponentially or like inversely and proportionally relationship to the amount of exhaustion. So like, as you get fitter and fitter, you just get more and more and really? more exhausted. Really? So it's just, it was almost like an equilibrium. Yeah. I was surprised by just how tired you are just, you know, just from being away from home, you know, kind of sleeping in different places and just not being, you know, as comfortable as you can be. And then also like you're putting your body through something kind of very, very strenuous. And so your body's trying to trying to get as much sleep. Like usually I'm like a three or four hours a night type sleeping. And, uh, I was needing six, seven hours a night, you know, after the first couple of weeks, you got a book to recommend. You got a piece of music to recommend. You got a podcast to recommend to oh, our audience. <laughs> oh my God. I can make all those recommendations. So, uh, the book that I would recommend that one of my favorites was a book called North by my friends, Scott and Jenny Jurek. It's about my friend Scott's what's known as the fastest known time. So he ran the fastest time ever on the Appalachian trail uh, a couple of years ago, as far as podcasts, I got to give a shout out to the Fanny fantasy footballers podcast. I love fantasy football. I'm super into it. I'm really sorry that you guys lost Russell Wilson because I think he's, he, he's going to do really well in Denver, I think. And then as far as music goes every single day, I listen to ACDC thunderstruck like every, every single day. And then, uh, I'd follow that up with mama. I'm coming home by Ozzy Osbourne. And I didn't realize this and I like a lot of different music, but I'd say, I got stuck listening to a lot of classic rock. So like, um, yeah, yeah. Like in some deep tracks, you know, like serious deep tracks. Like, so that was, that was really cool. Um, mm. uh, mm. but yeah, mm. good stuff. So from the Pacific to the Atlantic, you finished in Delaware. It took you 61 or 62 days. How many pairs of running shoes? How much weight did you lose? Yeah, those are great questions. So I started at 146, got down to 134, so about 12 pounds or so. How tall are uh, you? I'm six foot. Six foot, 146 pounds? Well, that's when I started. I got down to <laughs> one, 134. Yeah. I actually bulked up before this, knowing I was going to make a sacrifice to the running gods. So I, all, I, I sacrificed all my little CrossFit muscles and shoes. I run for a brand called Hoka, and... I went through three pairs of shoes totally. So like yes. killed them. And then I ran in about six, seven pairs. Yeah. I was getting like maybe eight or 900 miles per pair of shoes, which is pretty incredible. Are you tired of the Forrest Gump references? Were people screaming to you? Were people nice to you along the way? Or did they find you an annoyance and a hindrance, Michael? Uh, I had a little both. I'd say for every person that was annoyed, I had 10 people that were kind. We did have people that, you know, would, coal roll us where you kind of slow down and dust people with like your exhaust. We had oh. people throw, throw a hamburger at us. Uh, like a hamburger, a hamburger, a half, a hamburger? A, <laughs> like a half, a half eaten hamburger got tossed at me. It actually missed me and hit a girl that was running with me, which was not cool at all. Uh, in Ohio it had people kind of drive us off the road every single day. We had that stuff happening for every, you know, one person that was mean, we probably had 10 people that were amazingly beautiful, including like I got uh, a truck ran me off the road and I, I hurt, I hurt my hamstring. I thought I wasn't going to be able to finish the run. 
So I was kind of walking the last 10 miles and a lady rolls down her window and offers me a ride. Cause it's like 98 degrees. Hey honey, you know, you look like you need a ride. Can I please take you somewhere? I was like, I'm sorry, ma'am. I'm walking across the country. You know, she's like, wait, what? And then she kind of drove away and then came back and was like, baby, it's okay. You can get in the car. I won't tell anyone. And I was just like, no, ma'am, I'm sorry. You know? Um, and why do you think people weren't nice? The people that were the, the person who's throwing you, throwing a cheeseburger at you, are they mad at you? Or are they just looking for somebody to razz? I don't understand that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like it's, they didn't know who I was. It's not me. I mean, it, it's not personal. I think it's just somebody doing something they don't understand and people that, you know, maybe had a bad day. Um, you know, I had a woman that was like six fifteen in the morning, like slowed down, honking her horn, giving me the bird. I was just like, man, it's six o'clock in the morning. Like what could have happened to make your day so bad? So, you know, like, I, I, I mean, I, I don't know. It's again, it's, I don't think it was personal. I just think, you know, it maybe makes people nervous to have somebody on the road and, you know, it, it just take it out on you. And yeah, that's just part of the deal when you do this kind of run and it's unfortunate, but, but I'd say for every person like that, you know, you'd have somebody come out and um, say you inspired them to start running. I had a guy with a double bypass heart surgery that thought he, he had actually died and um, you know, came out and he thought he was only going to run like, you know, maybe a mile with us. And we ended up just saying, Hey dude, why don't you just set the pace? And he ran six miles with us and you should see the smile on his face, man. It just changed his life. We had another guy come out in West Virginia because he knew it would be super steep with AFib and he couldn't really even run, but he could walk. And so he came. How, how did these people know? Do they know the story? They knew of you before your uh, arrival. I, I don't understand that. How, how'd the word oh, yeah. get out? Yeah. How did the word get yeah. out? So we were putting everything on social media. So people would follow me there, I but see. we also had, we also had like, I carried like a live tracker. So everyone would know that, you know, I didn't get in someone's car, you know, like that lady. <laughs> um, so, so there was a live tracker link so people could see exactly where I was at any point on the run. Fantastic. So they would just follow the the little blue dot and come to the middle of nowhere and hang out. You know, we had people, my friends, Jackie and Dave drove from Houston 13 hours to drop off a pumpkin pie, like just crazy, awesome generosity wow. from people. I want to hear about yellow. Oh man. Yeah. Well in Missouri, there's, um, unfortunately there's a lot of uh, puppy mills. And so there's a lot of stray dogs and, and just dogs that are kind of living on the land. And we were doing, you know, our normal 50 mile day and about, you know, four or five miles into the run, this, this kind of yellow lab comes charging in, you know, at us. And we're like, Oh, and sometimes the dogs are really aggressive. there. like the people that uh, that I talked to in Missouri carry mace because, you know, sometimes they pack up and yeah. they call them like street wolves. It's actually crazy, but yellow was just like so friendly. And we're like, Hey dude, you know, go home, whatever. And we realized quickly that he didn't have a home. He was just out for an adventure. Uh, and he joined us and, you know, 10 miles in, we're like, man, this dog is still with us. And then 20 miles in, I'm like, this might be one of the longest runs I've ever done with a dog. Like we have Vishla as like Rosie and Bash and, and they've, they've gone pretty far, but they haven't gone, you know, 20 miles in, in the heat. And then all of a sudden 30 miles in the guy I was running with, like had to like step off the course and, and take a break and yellow's still right there with me. Like he, and he's probably running more too, because he's like, you know, checking out the horses, like, 
jumping in creeks, like chasing ducks, like, uh, and, and I'm just like, wow, this dog is amazing. And about 40 miles in, he's just like tongue hanging down to the ground and it's so hot. It's like 95 degrees. Uh, and he's just laying in the shade of the truck and I'm like, man, you can't go anymore. I'm sorry. We got another 10 miles to go. And so he just kind of crashed out ended his day with me with 40 miles, but again, it was probably more. And the great thing about it was, uh, the guy Rod that I was running with ended up being able to take him home, picked picked 40 ticks off of him, took him to the vet, got him all cleaned up. And, and so the story gets even better, uh, as though yellow was able to be adopted out to Rod's neighbor who had a lab that had just passed away and had a really they had two and one of them passed away. And so yellow was able to take the place of the, of the dog that passed away. And man, it's just, it's like a Hallmark movie, man. It's, it's literally like, what is it? The, the long journey home or something like, it's just a beautiful, uh, it's so cool. How old are you, Michael? Uh, 48 years old, 48 years old. You've run now 3,234 miles in 13 States Pacific to Atlantic in uh, in 61 almost 62 days 132,000 feet in elevation change or you get to Delaware and you stick your foot in the Atlantic Ocean and now what I mean how <laughs> that, how much have you run since you stopped running and what's next and how do you how do you top this? How do you get re- ready for your next journey? Oh man yeah I mean I think uh, I actually dunked myself in the ocean, not just like, (laughs) not just a foot. And then I just hugged everybody that came out. It was, it was magic. And the sunrise was picturesque and there was like dolphins swimming. It was, it was just really incredible. I'm I've been at home since the finish, just in Rehoboth beach in Delaware, been playing, uh, hours and hours of pickleball. Um, so I'm, addicted to getting better at pickleball and I've run a couple, couple long runs but I've probably run maybe 50 or 60 miles in the last week and a half or so. Oh, geez, Michael, you're out of shape. You're letting yourself go for God's sakes. You're going to be, you're going to be 139 pounds one of these days and you're going to have to go on a crash (laughs) diet, Michael. Yeah. I, 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 I've been so happy. I'm like satisfied and exhausted and just trying to build my strength back up, build my body back up. I got a couple of bike races coming up, uh, the Leadville hundred mile mountain bike and, a thing called the triple bypass bike race. So kind of getting on the bike, uh, getting the pickleball in, uh, starting to do some cross training, like lifting and climbing in the gym with, uh, our kids and just enjoying being done, man. It's, it's been awesome. It's just like a dream come true. Well, it inspired me. So when I get off of this interview, I'm going to immediately go out in the front and I'm going to run for one block and then I'm going to come back. And then I'm going to, that's how it starts. That's how it starts, man. That's, that's all, that's all you got to do, man. It's, it starts. It's that's I I'm, I'm glad. Like I, I I love that. Michael Wargin from Arlington, Virginia. He joins us from Mahoboth beach, Maryland. He did it. He did it. He's one of only about 400 that ever did it. 62 days, 61 and change to run from the Pacifica. Well, He's just stupid enough to start six miles inland, so he has to run west to the Pacific Ocean and then 3,000 miles east to the uh, Atlantic Ocean. What a great pleasure it is to visit with you. Thanks for squeezing us in, 
and let us know what uh, what comes about, what your next journey is all about, Michael. Stay in touch, would you please? Yeah, definitely. I'll let you guys know for sure. Thank you. <laughs> hey, it's time for a visit from Jordan Flowers, who leads the Cross Country Mortgage Team in Kirkland. How are you, Jay Flo? Hey, Mitch. I'm doing wonderful. Thank you. It's been a while. Yes, Good to be it back. Has. It's nice to have you back. With numbers skyrocketing, how can Jay Flo and his great Kirkland team help Mitch Unfiltered listeners? these days? Yeah, it's a great question. And one we're getting from clients also, rates have been going up pretty sharply over the last couple of months, but we have started to see it level out. Rates actually kind of tick back down slightly. It is a great time for buyers to be buying. Even with the higher interest rates, it's actually providing a bit of an opportunity for buyers to not get into quite as many multiple offer competitive situations and wonderful time to be buying and getting that house you want and not getting in such competition and then just take care of it with the refinance with rates when they come back down. Jordan, tell me a little bit about buying rental properties and other unique programs that you guys offer at Cross Country Mortgage. Yeah, we are actually doing a lot with investment buyers right now, one to four unit properties. But we do also have a unique service coverage ratio program that allows you to not provide any income qualifying documents. We qualify off of the income the property itself produces. So we're just evaluating the collateral piece and if it's going to be a good investment for you. So Jordan, even with the numbers a little higher these days, you're still helping refinance clients pull cash out for various reasons. Yeah, yeah. Those rate term refinances that were just clogging up the system a year ago have mostly subsided here, but we are helping a lot of clients with cash out refinances, equity refinances to pay off higher interest rate debt, as well as pull that cash to buy that second home or investment property that they want to do and put that money they've earned in their house to work on more real estate and helping people build more wealth. So how do I reach you? If a Mitch Unfiltered listener has questions about what they just heard, where do we find Jordan Flowers? Yeah, same bat line, same bat channel, 425-890-2957. There you go, Jordan Flowers in Cross Country Mortgage, the Kirkland office. He's been an incredible partner. Mitch Unfiltered would not be possible without guys like Jordan Flowers. Unfiltered. Other stuff segment. So really, a patron came out to Des Moines and I didn't for the state title? Listener Jim, who just got (laughs) married like two days ago. Congratulations to Jim. I love this. He's a patron. He's a Newport High grad. Oh, is he? You know, really? I should have asked him if, because my mom graduated from Newport. I never even thought to ask him. They look kind of the same age. Is he Brett's year or Max's year? <laughs> He's Jim. a little older, uh, but he has a son who also listens. He lives in Dallas. He's a patron too. So, Jim and his son are both patrons, and they came to root on Piper. It was very nice. I said, you know, the championships Friday. If you want to come back, he's like. I'm getting married, probably won't be able to make it. I was like, okay, fine, fair enough. I got you. All right, quick up. Should have turned to him and said. <laughs> When he said, I'm getting married, I don't know if I can make the championship. <laughs> what kind of patron are you? <laughs> right. We're deleting your account. You don't deserve it. All right, quick update on Dwayne Brown. Remember, he got caught yeah, at LAX. Yeah, LAX yeah. So there's a criminal charge now stemming from his arrest at LAX last weekend. He could be facing up to a year behind bars if he's convicted. He was busted at the airport in LA on July 9th after oh, authorities said he tried to go through TSA with a gun in his luggage. Uh. He's been charged by L.A. City Attorney Mike Fuhrer, a longtime national leader on gun violence prevention. So he's got that Mm. going against him. Mm. According to court documents, he was hit with one count of carrying a concealed weapon, a misdemeanor that carries a penalty of up to one year. I don't think he'll get one year, but that's a nice little thorn in his side that he's going to have to deal with. 
I got a whole bunch. You want to do any more? Or do you, what, do you, what do you want? How do you want to do Go this? Go ahead. Just get, give me I, I just got a ton of them. I just rally, rally through. But, but before I start, went to McDonald's today for the first time in forever. I realized when I was in McDonald's and I went to McDonald's because I had to go, I had to go, go to the bathroom. I had to go potty. It's a great place to do it. Not really. Not most of the time. The one I go to in Issaquah is great because it's on the side and you can kind of get in and well, get out. You don't have to buy anything. It's well, great. I was no going, we were going to you. Auburn. Yeah. It's a long trip. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when you got to go, you got to go. And typically when I got to go and I pull off like 167, yeah. I'm looking for anything but a McDonald's. Really? Yeah. I'm, I'm not a big Well, I didn't realize, you're probably right because I didn't realize how clean McDonald's have become. A lot of these McDonald's have been redone. Yeah. And they're super clean and super nice and whatever. But I've said one effect of the, of the pandemic that, that we didn't see coming was public bathrooms have never been cleaner. Oh, that's great. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I hate public That's bathrooms. one unintended consequence of a pandemic. <laughs> Finally, a silver lining. Public bathrooms, have, they always have soap. Right. They always have towels now. Right. It's awesome. So right. Anyway, go ahead. So well, I, I was in McDonald's and my wife says to me, while you're going in there, get me a, get me a cheeseburger. Of course, why not? I was like, really? You it's want McDonald's. a cheeseburger? You want a whole meal? Yeah, get me the whole meal. <laughs> you're upselling her. The combo, the whole thing? Yeah. Can I get you an apple pie with that? I said. <laughs> Oh, I, I wish so they were the five I, here, here, Just a couple of observations about my trip to McDonald's. Because <laughs> I haven't been to McDonald's in a long time. At least I haven't been inside of a McDonald's in forever. Right. Drive through with the kids probably, but nah, not, not inside. Not much of that either. Too. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> couple of, first of all, I said to the lady, can I get a combo with a cheeseburger? My wife would like a cheeseburger combo. She said, can't do it. Oh, it's, oh, I know why. It's two. It's two, yeah. I'm like, what? What? We're America. We're large. <laughs> Why can't no I have a, one cheeseburger? I can't have a cheeseburger combo. <laughs> no. Is this a, a a nationwide thing or is this Auburn's rule? Oh no! Have you seen this country? <laughs> what kind of an animal? Why can't I one have cheeseburger? a cheeseburger? No, you, you you may not. So I, I come to I come back with the the, the meal for my wife, and yeah. she's like, "You got me two? I'm like, "No, I I, I didn't want to get you two. And she said, "Why didn't you get me a happy meal?" Oh, good call. Yeah, I didn't realize it. They also have something called the mini meal. I don't know what that is either. Yeah, it's a cheeseburger, small fry, and a small drink. So why doesn't the lady in the back, who is lovely, by the way, yeah. why doesn't she say to me, I can't do a, a, a cheeseburger combo, but you could do a Happy Meal or a mini meal? Yeah. Why did she give me the... Why did she tell me these things? Give me question. the options. I think the mini meal is kind of a little secret. I don't know if they... they it's called the All-American Meal at one point, I think. Um, but yeah, there, there are options for one cheeseburger. Why is the McDonald's straw so effing good well have you ever noticed how good the straw perfect and the, size and the drink is good oh. the, the why are their machines better the the soda the diet soda the that best. came out it's the best diet soda in the world why i, I don't know it's why, the, why? The, maybe it's the amount of carbonation the I perfect soda rate the it's syrup cold. ratio and they've got that nice big straw why doesn't oh. everybody have the nice wide the circumference i was starting to do a little measurement <laughs> It was like it's beautiful, and so when you when you when you factor in that they got, always had the best fries for me, oh, yeah, they always yeah. had the best fries, and you've got the straw, and they always had the best ketchup. It's a little sugar. I mean, their ketchup in their it's packets. Good, yeah. My dad, may he rest in peace, when he went to Europe, would carry around McDonald's ketchup packets. <laughs> it's hard to get it there. Yes, mayonnaise is everywhere. I don't know. Yeah. I, don't, I just yeah. they just know how to do. They've got well, something. The they've been I here 80 this, years. I think this whole McDonald's <laughs> thing is going to work. It's going to catch on, you think, at some point? Keep yeah. going. I the usually, I, I, eat, I eat all my food when I go there, and then I take one enormous hit off the soda at the end, and I almost drink the whole thing. It's so, I just, it's like my Why dessert. Is it I don't know. It's awesome. Why can't other restaurants? They, they can't figure it out. It's something about McDonald's, Coke, and Diet Coke. It's amazing. 
I know. It's, I'm with you. It's and the straw. The straw. It's perfect. I know. Oh. I try to stay away from there for obvious reasons. <laughs> Doctors say I have a little bit of a weight problem. But <laughs> the, the times that we go, because Piper, yeah. of course, loves it. Yeah. And I always eat it and I always think, I wish I didn't like it anymore. But I freaking love it still. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I wish I had outgrown it and I could just say no. It's always awesome. I always love McDonald's still. Yeah. Maybe it's just like you a, and I a both worked at a McDonald's, thing. right? Oh, sure. We yeah. did. Yeah. yeah. You bet. Summer of 1983, Bob Levy had never been to a McDonald's, yeah. decided to go visit his son, walks walks in and says, yeah. give me, what do you got? Give me a, uh, <laughs> let's see, I'll have a, uh, what do you got? Big Mac, medium rare. Right. <laughs> You're looking for the concierge to see him. <laughs> dad, we don't, you see, I said, dad, you see, you see that Big Mac wrapper that's right there? That's your Big Mac. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> it ain't being prepared. To see that one right there sitting there in the bin? Yeah. That's the one you're getting. That's right. That probably not medium rare. He's no. like, okay, no. what kind of tip do I leave you? <laughs> I'm broken again. <laughs> oh. oh, Jesus. All right, real quickly. Um, Charles Barkley's going to meet with the Live Tour to talk about announcing the Live Tour. They're getting ready to throw a bunch of money now. Not just at Phil Mickelson and Bryson DeChambeau and Greg Norman and Dustin Johnson. Jeez. Now it's Charles Barkley who says, I'm just going to be honest with you. They want to meet with me and I'm going to meet with them. Didn't he recently say something that he would like kill a relative yes. for that kind of money? <laughs> yes, he did. I mean, does he have money problems? He's a notorious gambler, right? I don't know that he has money problems, but I don't know either. I'm just wondering. He likes money like the rest of like us. Like the rest of us, yeah. I told you. If they, Are you okay with that? If they call us to do the podcast, you're at least going to have to entertain it. No. I know. It's it's tough. Are you okay with Charles Barkley? What if he left <sighs> TNT? I don't know that he'd leave TNT, but what if he left NBA broadcasting because he was given $100 million to go talk about golf? Oh, he went... Who am I to tell him to turn down $100 million? I just... I, I can't do it. There's a new minority owner of the Denver Broncos. Do you know who it is? I don't. Condoleezza Rice oh, wow. has joined the incoming ownership group for the Denver Broncos, the former U.S. Secretary of State. And she's also on the committee for the, or she at least was for the college National, football she's playoff, She's a big right? sports fan, and she's a member of? Augusta National. Yes, she is. There you go. The Collin County Medical's Examiner's Office on the Marion Barber death. Mm. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks oh, ago? Yeah. Marion Barber, the kind of Marshawn Lynch running back-ish yeah running back of the Dallas Cowboys. Turns out he he died from heat stroke. Frisco, Texas police found him at 38 inside his apartment. They say it was 91, that the unit was set for 91 degrees. And he was a perennial exercise in the hottest possible. He liked to exercise in a sauna. So he kept his, he kept his apartment very hot. And he died. Of heat stroke? He was known to exercise in sauna-like conditions. Wow. According to the coroner who wrote in his report. Not sure that's necessary after you're done playing. Maybe just hit the gym for like an hour. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, that, I thought, that's dead. Yeah, I know. I'm laughing, but that just seems unnecessary. Wow. Bleacher Report has decided to announce what they think or who they think is the best-kept secret of every one of the 32 NFL teams, Hotshot. Okay. Would you like to try to guess? I guess you won't be able to guess because it's the best guess. Yeah, that's right. How would I know? Who the Bleacher Report says is the Seattle Seahawks' best-kept secret on the roster. I'll give you five guesses, and you won't get it right. Best-kept secret. The best-kept secret. Drew Locke. No. Is that his name? Yes, okay. that's his name. <laughs> no. Best-kept secret. Yes. Uh, I don't know. 
I'll never get it. Linebacker Cody Barton is your best kept secret. Really? He's going to have a great year, according to Bleacher Report. Oh, he's the best he's shape up, of his life. He, well, he's going to come in because no more Bobby Wagner. Yeah. No more K.J. Wright, we don't think. Yeah. And so you've got, you don't have a lot of experienced linebackers. He's going to come in and and be uh, be be terrific. When he's he played, did you say to yourself he looked special? No. I don't remember feeling that when he played. No. He, I mean, he, he got like, in there enough. Yeah, he's okay. He looks serviceable. Yeah, nice special teams player. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if he's the best kept secret. All right, I guess we'll find out. Are you following the Zach Wilson saga? No. Do you, know, do you know who Zach Wilson is? I don't think I do. Zach Wilson is the quarterback of the New York Jets. He was a high oh, draft right. choice yeah, out yeah. of BYU. That one, yes. Who on draft night, and I and I say this, I say this because I think it does add context to the story. I don't want people to think I'm creepy. But on draft night, do you recall, a lot of people were talking about his mom. Yes, I remember that, yeah. A beautiful woman mm-hmm. who was seen. She was dressed to the nines. There were radio shows that were calling, having him on, like in New York, yeah. and just asking about his mom, right. the whole thing. Okay, I, I tell you that because there's an unbelievable soap opera happening oh, no. around Zach Wilson. So he was a, he's a 22-year-old quarterback out of BYU. He had this girlfriend who's very prominent on Instagram and Okay. It, it, the, the relationship between the very cute couple, very, very pretty, whatever. This was going on for Now they've broken up. Uh-oh. And she's pissed. Okay. So she outed her former boyfriend. Oh, no. And announced that he's having a sexual, a, a sexual relationship with his mom's best friend. Oh. His mom's best friend. Oh, no. And he... <laughs> And as a result, she, the girl, yeah. has decided to start dating his college roommate. <laughs> of course. This she did. is all happening. <laughs> if they're not filming this and putting this on E, they're missing an opportunity. And here. the best part, Hotshot, is the reason why I bring this to the table on the other stuff segment. <laughs> okay. Because 16-year-old Brett Levy, Newport High School junior to be, yeah. was like, Mitch, are you talking about the Zach Wilson? <laughs> He knows. Girlfriend, mother story on the pot. You've got to. He says, and he sat me down to tell me all this. My son knew the whole story. Apparently, this is a big thing going on in social media. Everybody knows about Zach Will. They don't know about him as a quarterback. They know about his mom and his mom's friend and him and the girl. This is all going on. This is all going on. And to think he had like this perfect life. He's got this perfect, good-looking girlfriend. He's rich. He's young. He's playing football for a living. And now his life is just flipped upside down. There you go. Wow. Robinson Cano was traded. Did you see this? No. Robinson Cano is still playing. Yes. Would you like to try to guess what the Atlanta Braves gave up for the Sandy to the San Diego Padres in exchange for a uh, a midseason acquisition of Robinson Cano? A water cooler and a fan. Less. (laughs) Less. <laughs> really? Go One on. dollar. Really? Yeah. Literally less than what I said. One dollar. <laughs> so he's just too old. He's yeah. done. It's $1. just not worth taking a chance $1. on. And yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Phil Mickelson was asked by the RNA to not come to the champions dinner. Okay. They had the big champions dinner yeah. before the British Open. Phil Mickelson not there. The RNA saying, mm, I don't think it'd be a good deal. A good idea. Um, he said, um, they called me and said, look, we don't think it's a great idea for me to go, but if you want to, you can. <laughs> <laughs> that I just like didn't want to make a big deal about it, so I said fine. 
So now Phil is not only on the outs with everybody else, he can't even go to the British Open Champions Dinner. Patrick Reed at the U.S. Open, the disliked Patrick Reed. Nobody likes Patrick Reed. I don't think his family likes Patrick Reed. In fact, he told his mother and father not to come to the Masters the year that he was winning it, and they lived a mile from Augusta National. That's right. I remember that, yeah. Patrick Reed, who's been accused of cheating on the golf course. He was seen in the British Open proudly wearing a live hat. A live tour had to rub it in. Jeez. Not better than John Daly's Hooter pants. <laughs> Go on. He was wearing Hooter pants. Oh. Now, I don't mean the little short shorts. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank God. He was. He's a British Open champion. He was seen in the first two rounds of the second round, first round or second round, wearing these long pants all adorned with the Hooters logo. Oh, at the at the British Open at St Andrews. What kind of money did he golf. get for that? God, I hope he got a big <laughs> check to write to wear Hooters pants. Good for him. Oh my god! I saw a video of him hitting balls over a highway onto a football field. Yeah, I sent that video out. Thank you for you noticing. Did. Yeah, I did. Yeah, is that real? I mean, yeah, it's real. He'd still yeah, a lot hit of people were mad. Actually, a lot of people were mad at him because it's dangerous. If yeah. he shanks one, he's yeah, kill somebody. Yeah, kill somebody. <laughs> I mean, he could. You're gonna kill somebody, bitch. <laughs> um. Uh, I've got the Houston area law enforcement officer who's also a little league coach and the the video of him getting h- h- pushing around in the in the in the congratulations and the good game line after his team lost like nine nine and under game he coaches a nine team. and under yeah he's not, he's bumping into the uh, he was really mad. yeah and he's a law enforcement officer <laughs> who's the coach <laughs> Clearly, I've been watching too much Little League softball. The video's out. I don't know any of these stories you're talking about. Oh, you got to go look at the video. The video's out. KHOU 11 News reporting that the Scorpions baseball team. Oh, the Scorpions are good every year. They called called, um, Kenneth Wentz's actions. Officer Kenneth Wentz, who who in his off time coaches a 9U baseball team, and he was so mad, he was bumping and yanking the arms of the of the opposing <laughs> oh team. God. What is wrong with people? Unacceptable. He's been removed from the position well, of of not not as officer, but yeah. as, as 9U coach. I'm telling you. The, the 10U softball. Post-game handshake line. The, the, the 10U Issaquah was in the championship game, and yeah. they lost to Sammamish pretty badly, and the parents, I'm sure, were freaking out. I saw a picture after the game of both teams of kids hanging out playing kickball somewhere outside frozen yogurt. The kids don't give a shit. It's, it's the adults. Well, the, typically they do the the relay race where they start at yeah, second. Right, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, these parents are just getting out of control. This guy is literally grabbing <laughs> nine-year-olds. He's like 6'6". Six, six. He's... And he's he's get like they go to handshake and he grabs her hand and squeezes it. He's so Good mad. Lord. And he's out there writing tickets to people. Don't piss that guy off on the highway. Jesus. Good That's Lord. it. And R.I.P. Ivana Trump, 73 years old. I'm sure you have some R.I.P.s. Fell down a circular stairway in her New York condo. There you go. Yes. There's my other stuff segment for you. Yes, I do have Ivana Trump. I mean, she was married to Donald Trump before yep. making the tragic mistake of turning 30. Uh, the former wife of the president and mom to Eric. Is that a headline? No, Does it that wasn't. count? No. But that's Eric uh, and Junior and Ivanka's mom. Yep. Yeah, I I told you there were two periodicals that came to our, the Soden house when I was a kid. Really? The Star and the Inquirer. That was it. Those are the two. Mag- really? I don't know that I know that. I don't know that anyone would have those delivered every week. <laughs> yes, that's what my. So I, I remember reading about her for oh, my, my whole life. So and then Marla Maples her. came into the picture. Oh yeah, remember she, Marla Maples? She turned thirty at some point too. Oh shit! Uh, rest in peace to William. <laughs> don't who, we all turn thirty? Yeah, at some I know. Point? But we, I haven't yet. But you haven't gotten traded you. in yet. 
the, the day is young. William Poogie Hart, the Grammy Award-winning lead singer of the R&B band The Delphonics, okay. passed away. Right. The Delphonics' huge impact on the development of TSOP, which I know you're going to tell me is the sound of Philadelphia. So he had him and his brother wrote all their songs, the Grammy-nominated hits. Didn't I and Lala were also fe- featured in Jackie Brown, the Quentin Tarantino film. So okay. 77 years old for Poogie, uh, Ivana Trump, and then I had another one. Oh, the Oregon Ducks player. That was a rough read. You didn't see this? No. Tight end Spencer Webb tragically passed away, 22 years old. What happened? The Lane County Sheriff's Office said in a statement Wednesday night that it responded to rock slides near Triangle Lake earlier in the afternoon after receiving reports of an injured 22-year-old. Cops said the man had been recreating Mm. and he fell, striking Mm. his head. According to the statement, bystanders and first responders tried to help him, but he could not be revived. Yeah, he was on the Oregon's... I did not see that. He joined Oregon in 2018. It looks like he was going to have a pretty big role this coming season. So that's a rough one for Duck fans. Yeah. That's terrible. Yes, yes, yes. And those are are my RIPs. And I got a few headlines. Sure, I'd like to hear hear. If the heat wave hits 107.6 degrees in the UK, bees may ejaculate themselves to death. Look, if I survive being alone freshman year in the dorms without AC, the bees are going to be just fine. A, reti- a retired vicar, a retired vicar for the church has been put on the sex offenders list after he was caught getting intimate with a Henry Hoover vacuum cleaner. Is there a common theme to this? The vicar was quoted as saying, "Set of headlines." The vicar was quoted as saying, "You try, you try taking a vow of celibacy. It really sucks." A Florida woman. Not on the list. Interrupted an uninvited what, guest. Florida women are okay. Florida men are not. I think that's what you said. Okay. Yes. A Florida woman was. Uh, she interrupted an uninvited guest in her bathroom on Saturday night as an iguana crawled out of her toilet for the second time in a week. Jesus. Not to worry. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis already has a plan on how to restrict or even eliminate their reproductive rights. You had to make it. You I have to. to. I have to ruffle you feathers. Had to do it. Well, well, Just call everybody assholes. If, why I, don't I, you? I should. You had to do it. All right. And finally, a man from the USA has broken a very strange record by becoming the fastest man ever to push a peanut up a mountain using his nose. A peanut? Okay. Okay. Really? Are we going to do this? You think I would take the low-hanging fruit? You think that's my style? Are you going to do this? Are you really going to do this? Don't you do this. I'm a Florida man. I'm ineligible to be taken down. <laughs> Mitch Levy oh, already tried this in 1980. You always wonder what kicked off Mount St. Helens? Jesus. <laughs> yes, I did take the low-hanging fruit. I'm sitting in Celebration Park in Federal Way trying to write jokes while my daughter's playing softball. This is all And I all you can do is Mitch Levy <laughs> schnoz, Really? Come on, you're better than that. I am better than that. You are yes. better than that. What about the vicar and the vacuum guy? You need to take Come a on. week. You've been suspended for a week. <laughs> okay, good. Fair enough. <laughs> go Issy. You just Woo-hoo. go to San Bernardino. Yes. And root those Issaquah 12-year-olds on. Game one, go Saturday, July 23rd. Anything we can see on TV or four online? 4 o'clock on ESPN+. Plus. Really? Yes. So I you, am a subscriber of you ESPN+. Are. Okay. I think. I think one of the kids wanted to do it. I think I, I, think I can get that. Really? I can watch the game live. And I think a lot of people, I'm like doing an ad for him. Say it again. ESPN what day? Plus, what day? July 23rd is Saturday. I want to make sure. Saturday, July 23rd. Oh, that's not for a couple weeks, is it? No, no. next week. Next Saturday. The, oh, shit. This comes out on, I know, exactly. Okay. Let me just make sure before we go that it is, uh, yeah, Saturday, July 23rd at 4 o'clock okay. p.m. on ESPN Plus. 
I know. Hyper. Crazy, right? Is he? They have an announcer and camera crew. This that, is going to be... It's insane. I, I, I'm going to watch on Game Changer. All right, that's it. <laughs> that's it. Ball one. <laughs> Strike swinging. You're going to watch that instead? <laughs> Episode 199. Hope you enjoyed it. It wasn't that great. Uh, it's in the books. I was good. But... Go listen.